Happy Wednesday, fans of the fantastic. We got big Guardians of the Galaxy news, some Joker 2 production updates, and a review of Boba Fett's penultimate installment. If you're looking to jump around, peep that description. Time codes are right there. It's the Direct Podcast, episode 72. Let's get busy. Truth is, we need new heroes. Thanks for the lesson. This is the way. In my culture, I am a Jedi. I am birthed with glorious purpose. We're all villains here. Got us united. I'm a superhero! Welcome inside the Direct Podcast, episode 72 on a Wednesday for the second consecutive week. I am your host, the content machine, Liam Crowley, joined alongside, as always, by the son of a clone, Mr. Matt Remke. Matt, how are we doing? I'm doing fantastic, Liam. How are you? It's emotional. Emotional day. Weird day, right? Weird day. Yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, we should not have gotten it ruined that Toby and Andrew were in Spider-Man: No Way Home, but we did. And uh, Tom Brady's retirement should not have been ruined by Adam Schefter, a personal hero of mine, a man I've met, a very nice gentleman. He fucked this one up. But um, uh, yeah, it's a weird day, but uh, it's kind of kind of cool, right? I am feeling a little grateful that it did happen early because, you know, I got all the emotions out of the way. I, I moved past the breakup before the breakup actually happened, which is, you know, bittersweet, I guess. It's weird, though. It's it, it's not going to sink in until next season begins. But, man, we're talking about Tom Brady for anyone who <laughs> is curious about the lack of proper nouns here. <laughs> you don't have to watch your favorite player play for a different team anymore. That's yeah, a pretty but, cool feeling. I was pretty excited about that when Peyton left. Yeah, but I did just like watching him play at the end of the day. It only hurt when he won in the playoffs. It actually only hurt when he won the Super Bowl. Leading up to that, I was like, let's get it, Tom. Let's go. And then as soon as he host, hoisted that Lombardi, and as soon as that smile was a little bit wider on the real boats in 85 degrees versus duck boats in 15 degrees in slushy snow, I was like, give him back. He's ours. Anyways, that's yeah. our Tom Brady chat off the top. I'm sure we're going to talk more about TV 12 later in this episode. But for now, let's get into some quick questions. But before that, quick little scheduling reminder for anyone who doesn't know if this is your first week tuning back into the Direct Podcast after a little hiatus. If you are a new fan of the Direct Podcast, welcome. We're happy to have you here. We are Hi. dropping episodes twice a week from now until content slows down. And those two episodes will come on Wednesdays like you're hearing right now. And on Fridays, Wednesdays, we talk all the top news and the universes you love, as well as a review of the book of Boba Fett. And then after Boba Fett ends, obviously, we'll bring you Moon Knight reviews. We'll bring you She-Hulk, Secret Invasion, Miss Marvel, what have you. On Fridays, we got your Peacemaker reviews and a fun feature segment that, you know, we kind of leave up in the air. We like to like to keep you guessing over here. So as we did last week, we did a mailbag, always room for more of those. But I know Matt is always planning fun stuff to slide into that feature slot over on Fridays. Yeah, no, it's really fun that we get to uh, do a few more segments, you know, spend a little more time on each story here, you know, like uh, I love what we've been doing up to now. You know, what is it? 72 episodes in a hundred total, um, you know, but I feel like we had to quickly go through the news a little bit. Now we get to dive into it a little more, which is cool. And uh, you know, just long-term programming note, we're going to be doing two episodes a week when content, um, basically when content forces us to do so. So right now we have Boba Fett and Peacemaker, two shows at once. 
two shows a week. When there's a show running and a movie comes out, we'll probably do two shows a week, give the movie to one episode, give the show to another, and something that, you know, might, you know, string that together, might get us into the next month of the year. Next week, we begin uh, another classic comic book movie rewatch here on the direct podcast everyone who's been listening knows that we did all the spider-man movies leading up to spider-man no way home and liam march 4th there's a batman movie coming out did you hear once or twice through the grapevine some whispers yeah it's it's uh pretty exciting stuff so starting next week leading up to matt reeves the batman we will be watching christopher nolan's dark knight trilogy we start next week with batman begins all the way back in 2005 then we get of course the dark knight and then the one i've seen the least by far the dark knight rises and then the next week the next great batman trilogy hopefully the batman by matt reeves it's uh it's going to be a batty month uh, especially throwing a little moon night there you know we're going to be we're going to be getting down and dirty with some fist and cowls you know what i'm saying I love that. Great month for the cows. Great month for uh, depressed uh, ant- aliases that cri- fight crime at night, I think. That's- depressed rich guys that like to beat people up. Correct. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. And I'm so stoked to go back into the Dolan trilogy because it's one I haven't seen chronologically in so long. I've rewatched The Dark Knight so many times. I've actually seen Rises quite a bit. I can't remember the last time I watched Begins. So I'm excited to dive back into it. The direct comic book movie rewatch it's going to be fun starting next week but let's talk about today's show let's get into those quick questions that i alluded to off the top we got one off the top from k master 14 k master always coming in clutch with great topics for us to talk about he writes fellas lots of secret invasion buzz going around how do you envision the idea of a quote invasion being introduced to us in the show how dope would it be if the first 10 minutes of episode one is a flashback of phase four scenes and we see all the scrolls who were there all along also matt as a bears fan how excited should i be about matt Eberfluss being named our head coach matt i'll talk i'll toss you the bears question first who is this guy and why should he be excited well it's matt Eberfluss. So we got it. We got to start getting that into the lexicon now early. It's a tough name. You know, it's no one's fault. You'll figure it out. So the thing about Matt Eberflus, former defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, he's been there for four seasons. When that scumbag from New England, Josh McDaniels, took the Colts job, got on plane, and then turned around halfway through and left us high and dry, only for Frank Reich to come in and truly save the day. The first thing Josh McDaniels did, was hire Matt Eberflus from the Dallas Cowboys to be the Colts' defensive coordinator. Eberflus, despite Josh McDaniels totally abandoning his word, scumbag, um, he Eberflus stayed with the Indianapolis Colts, and so they hung on to him. He's going to have the boys buzzing on defense. That's one thing I know for a fact as he goes to Chicago, so I'm very excited for the Bears. I'm excited for Matt Eberflus, but really, Liam, we all know this. With Chicago, it comes out no quarterback. You know, is Justin Fields that guy? That's going to be the question. That's not up to Eberflus. So we will see as far as the secret evasion question. Mm-hmm. The, the reason we're here, right? I think that um, K-Master's on the right track here when he talks about a flashback sequence introducing the idea of an invasion. I think is the best way to do it and really build up a lot of tension. 
um i was running through like the list of like who in the mcu history could be a potential scroll that we don't already know about and it's a little thinner than i'd like it to be just because there are so many characters if you introduce the idea that that they're a scroll takes away so much character progression or at least the idea of it anyway so i agree that a flashback sequence to a familiar scene with a familiar character extended a couple minutes where we see them turn into a scroll in a nefarious kind of way. I think that's going to happen. I see that happening at the uh, three, four turn of the season. You know what I mean? We've seen Disney plus treat that three, four uh, combo of episodes. You know, you end three on a big cliffhanger and then you let episode four really kind of redefine the show after laying the groundwork. But um, Liam, the question I want to ask you, the bigger question, I think in this, you know, with this question, within the question, the question within the question, how do they reestablish the scrolls as an invasive species? They are 100% protagonists right now. That was the twist of Captain Marvel. A good twist, in my opinion, was the scrolls actually weren't the bad guys. You know, like that, that's a fun idea to play with. And they played with it and are still playing with it. But for secret invasion to happen, I assume the scrolls need to be an enemy, an adversary of some sort. How do they kind of reestablish that species as a threat as opposed to an ally, not only narratively, but visually? How do we separate the good scrolls from the bad scrolls? And how are we going to know? Well, I think the answer to that is that the series starts very peacefully. Everything's kind of at a calm bit for a little bit. But I think they do heavily establish that there are sectors of scrolls who are an invasive species. I kind of want to make the Percy Jackson comparison a little bit in the sequel series on uh, Heroes of Olympus specifically. They go over to Camp Jupiter. Everything is all calm between the two camps, even though there's always supposed to be a civil war. And then there are those who are pulling the strings from behind the scenes. No, we, we too are supposed to fight. And so I think that there is a chance that scrolls could be in the same boat where, you know, even though... Overall, they get along right now. There is a chance that there are powerful scrolls behind the scenes who want to influence some war. They know how powerful they are. They're shapeshifters. They can take over an empire without even trying, essentially. There are probably scrolls in high power, in high ranking positions that want to take a little bit more. So I don't think the turn of making a sector of scrolls or a branch of scrolls led by someone in kind of a Zod mentality. Is that difficult to execute on screen? You said a couple of things that were super, super um, intriguing that I kind of want to branch off of, though, as well. The idea of uh, the limited pool of characters that could turn into scrolls, I think they should take this series with the Captain America Civil War approach, where I remember uh, the Russo brothers, I think it was them at least, or it might have been the writers of that film, said in interviews afterwards, you know, Civil War in the comics is such a culminating event. And a lot of people put that culmination and that stakes and they weigh it on the fact that so many characters died, right? So many characters passed away, yet they didn't kill off a single main character in the movie. And they basically said, well, up until that point in the MCU, death was not very permanent and that they thought the best way to get impact was to significantly injure a character. And I mean, think about the permanent consequences of Rhodey. He leaves that series uh, hospitalized. He leaves that series crippled and he's still walking around with uh, me mechanical legs that are helping him get around every day, yeah. right? Then there are the other two, Scott Lang and, uh, and Hawkeye, having to walk around with ankle monitors. Like 
there are permanent consequences without having to deal with the death factor because there's always going to be an asterisk next to it. I think with Secret Invasion, the turns don't have to be characters that are we know and love. We don't need to have Thor turn out to be a scroll for this series to have weight, but I do think high-ranking agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I do think high-ranking government officials are the ones that play the best because it doesn't ruin their character development up until this point. And at the same time, their positions of power allow for that turn to be significant. So I see the biggest pop, I still see Laura Barton being a scroll, a bit of a Romeo and Juliet situation of her and Hawkeye being together, but their love being kind of forbidden from the outside world. And then I see a lot of government officials. I see some agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I, I really don't see any core Avengers turning green. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talked earlier about how we're excited to do more feature segments. I think we build a list of the most likely characters we already know that turn scroll in Secret Invasion. I think that's uh, that'll be a fun one. And what's what's interesting about what you said about the the radical scrolls, you know what I mean? There's going to be some bad scrolls like that's already kind of been established in the MCU with Ronan. You know, we, we see in Captain Marvel, which is canonically 1994. We see Ronan as, you know, a part of the Kree uh, mission, narrative, motive, whatever. Um, we see him as a team member of the Kree, but we see Jude Law and his team being like, hey, he's getting out of hand. He's a little bit more of a whatever. And then we see him in Guardians canonically 20 years later, and they talk about it. He's a Kree radicalist. He is separated from the Kree. When um, Xandar ask the Kree to reprimand Ronan for his actions, they say he is an extremist. We do not recognize his actions. He's he's on like old school Kree rules and you know we're not about that. So it's not our responsibility. They've established that with the Kree. The scrolls, I think you can do the same thing. It's just going to be interesting how they play it because we've already seen Nick Fury and Maria Hill both turn into scrolls in Spider-Man Far From Home. And like there's scrolls that we like, and we were like excited, like oh my god, it's it's Ben Mendelsohn and and the 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 lady scroll and all that. Chick stuff. with the antenna, chick with the antenna. Um, how are you going to visually have somebody turn into a scroll and us instinctively know that it's a bad thing? You know what I mean? Like you have to set it up in a way to where the next time someone goes scroll, we need to know that that's no good because. If, if we're confused in that very moment, I feel like a lot of tension gets left out of the room. Yeah, the execution for this series is going to be obviously the most crucial part, but I, I do completely agree that the idea um, that when they turn, there has to be some villainous intent so we know. So, you know, we're not popping because like in WandaVision, she turns into a scroll in that last post credit scene and we're like, oh, whoa, this is cool. They're everywhere, right? We don't we're all kind of hype, yeah. We need to establish the fear uh, tactic early on. Before we move past this quick question, he did bring up a really interesting point that I want to pitch to you real quick. What flashbacks in the MCU would you like to see maybe elongated and see a scroll turn? Because I don't know about you, but there are a few things I love more in film than revisiting an old scene, like recreating it, but having alternate angles, extending it a bit. I loved going back to Avengers Tower or Stark Tower in Avengers Endgame. I love seeing uh, the angles of the Battle of New York from Michael Keaton's perspective, from Kate Bishop's perspective. This is a really intriguing concept, but I don't even know where I'd start with what scene I want to go back to. Do you have any on the mind? I have one. 
And it's it, this, this one scene comes with so much weight, not just because of how important it was to the overall narrative of the MCU, but the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff that came after. Ah. Coulson's death, I think, is the prime spot to go back to, have that impactful death, and then have either Coulson or Maria Hill divert off into a scroll situation that you know they've been not only are they everywhere they've been here for this long and they've been kind of pulling the strings behind the scenes it gets a little fishy though because the mcu has already done hydra inside shield to do scrolls inside hydra inside shield <laughs> like that's that's a little too russian russian nesting doll for me but i think that moment is the best one i can think of to where an impactful character has a death and an extended scene could show a scroll turn after that. But you said earlier, you know, the, the Laura Barton stuff, I think is prime. Um, in the comics, it was Electra. Electra was the one where everybody stood up. It was like, Oh shit. Like mm -hmm. anyone can get it kind of thing. So it'll be interesting to find what level of character they make that first big reveal. I assume we're going to get one or two, like, Holy shit. Like Carol Danvers or something like <laughs> Like, I, like we're going to get a couple big ones. I wonder what the initial one is going to be because it has to be a lot, but I don't think it can, it can't be the biggest one of the season. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think the Colson one is the most ripe for the picking. It just depends on whether or not they do want to pick that one. Because if you do that, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. canon talk is immediately erased. I mean, that show is already kind of in a, a wonky spot, but still will be interesting to see. Secret Invasion is going to be, quite the fun show to speculate here on the direct podcast we do have a second quick question coming from geo 1997 who says can't wait for the percy jackson series you and me both right. brother this book series is literally why i went into ancient greek and roman archaeology for my undergrad love that uh he continues love the fact that you guys talked about it we have to be getting hercules in the mcu do you guys think he'll get a disney plus show that being said out of all the characters in the mcu who we've gotten so far or any future characters we might see which ones do you think should get a disney plus show and which should get a movie so a bit of a layered question here matt i want to talk to you first about hercules in the mcu a pretty big player in the comics he has a big role in the civil war comic run could you see hercules getting a disney plus show 100 i think that's a great character to bring in um add on to the thor universe of things you know ancient gods becoming heroes kind of deal eternals have already dove into that a little bit with kingo's bit about you know he used to follow me around when he was a kid now he doesn't return my calls like like they've already built and established the kind of the friends of thor lifelong people right um hercules could just be another one of that he can be an eternal i think pretty easily he could be an eternal in a really awesome way i think eternals too um, you know, we introduce a Hercules, you know, as a either an adversary or a new team member or an adversary turn team member, whatever. Um, so I think he could play that role in a movie, but in a show, I think you could double down on it. You know, it's Hercules, you know, one of the best uh, in the comics. He is, you know, exactly what he is in lore, just a hyper strong Greek god. And um, I can't wait to see what the MCU does with him. I think you said it last week, maybe the week before, but. Henry Cavill should be Hercules. I think, I think mm -hmm. we can all agree on that. Um, but uh, no, I definitely can't wait for them to bring him in because it's a layup um, on so many levels, but if nothing else, it's got a great name value that the MCU can play around with. 
I agree. And they would have to market it as Marvel Studios as Hercules to kind of separate it as, you know, this is in the MCU. And it's easy to do. And I don't know if we would get a Disney Plus series, but I do think that is a character we will absolutely see in MCU live action sooner rather than later. The second half of this question, though, you guys are killing it, by the way, with the quick questions, these layered questions. I love them. I love the subsequent uh, prompts. Who else should get a Disney Plus show and who should get a movie? I'll go twofer on this one i think namor should get a movie and i think atlantis should get a disney plus show pretty simple they're both linked i think that if namor and the submariners and everything going on in atlantis crushes in black panther wakanda forever i think you franchise it immediately i think you kind of take a black panther slash batman approach to what we're kind of getting right now with robert pattinson's batman we have the solo movie coming out march 4th and they're also developing a penguin spinoff series for hbo max and a Gotham Police Department series for HBO Max. Expand that world within the bubble. You know, expand Atlantis within the giant scope of the MCU. That's a really fun bubble that you can flesh out. So my two quick answers are, are Atlantis Disney Plus series, Namor solo movie, and also give me that Xyling Ten Ring show. Oh, yeah. I can't wait for Ten Rings. Ten Rings is going to be sick. Um, and, and I don't really have an answer to this question. I more just kind of thought about how they're handling this and i kind of look at it two ways um i don't think that there's any character in marvel comics that is too small to get their own movie and i say that because guardians and shang chi not only were movies that they made movies people love those are two c to f list characters um in the comics that got on screen and immediately made an impact guardians changed the tone of the mcu forever and shang chi saved movie theaters people forget <laughs> um but um i so i don't think that there's any character too small for a movie but my question is and i'm not sure what the answer is is there a like can a character be too big for a disney plus show you know, like, like, is there, is there too much, even I'm, I'm talking even established MCU characters potentially getting a spinoff show. I think Loki's the biggest name we got to get a Disney plus show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, on that, I think Wanda and Sam and vision and Bucky smaller names than Loki when they got their show, but the show, I think put them above Loki, at least in the current narrative of the MCU. So I wonder, can you get too big for a Disney plus show? The, the response I have to this is so interesting because from a narrative standpoint, I think the bigger characters are better for a Disney Plus show. Like the bigger names, I would love to see six episodes exploring the Howling Commando era of Captain America, right? But yeah. we both know that Chris Evans doing a Disney Plus show is going to be a little more difficult. So from an industry perspective, thing. it's hard to get the big actors to commit to six episodes. But from a narrative standpoint, I'm way more interested in one of the OG six Avengers getting a show over like, with all due respect, Echo, like, you know, the, the name appeal is just, I lean more towards the high name value. I, I, I completely agree with you. Like if I had my druthers, if I had all my druthers, every character would get a movie and a show, <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, like does having a movie franchise like a Shang-Chi keep you out of the Disney plus conversation because it is, I, I do think that there needs to be some sort of hard line between, okay, we're, we're focusing on this, these characters primarily in movies and these characters primarily in shows. I'm not saying you can't cross over, but to have an entire trilogy of Shang-Chi with a series in between each movie, I think that that would get a little too convoluted in the sto- overall story you're trying to tell. going to throw it right back to you. Hot potato right now with this quick can't question. Wait. 
we've we see right now a solo series branching into a movie that being falcon winter soldier branching into sam wilson leading a captain america for wandavision a little wonkier obviously wanda's going to be the female lead of doctor strange but that's not her movie do we yeah, ever see it, do we ever seeing it go the other way do we ever see shang chi 2 being a six episode disney plus series do we ever see I, I don't even know do we ever see thor 5 going to disney plus like i it's weird i feel like it's the flow from going from show to movie is so much more calmer than going from movie to show and i don't know why i i i can't agree more and i think it is because there is a big big fight feel when you have a movie you mm-hmm. know what i mean like the the marvel studios has shown that they can tell a great character story with event Avengers and event stories in between and really develop some incredible characters over time, have them feature in different things, but really tell their story and their trilogies. You look at your Iron Man's, you look at, you know, Cap Civil War, Avengers 2.5, right? Man, what a great addition to the Cap trilogy that movie is though, you know? Like it really does a lot for the Cap character. Sorry. <clears throat> so I do think that show to movie is more of a natural fit because like you can really lay a lot of ground in the shows and pay them off in the movie having it go from a movie feel down to a show feel i think it's just a lesser feeling as far as like how important our time is with this character like oversaturation i think could become a thing but then i I think of this what about the x-men paradox i think the x-men are a perfect example of a quote-unquote character that needs to be a show because it requires that much time to individually develop however many characters it might be. Guardians disproves that a little bit, but the comedy aspect of Guardians kind of helps move it along as far as like, you know, getting to know these characters because a lot of what these characters' personalities are, are their jokes. I don't see that with X-Men. So I think a show fits a character like X-Men more than a movie, which kind of breaks my, my whole, can you get too big for a Disney Plus show? Because you're not bigger than X-Men. Spider-Man's the only character bigger than X-Men in the Marvel Universe. And we know Spider-Man's not getting a show. He's getting an animated show. Like that's, a, that's the biggest compromise, I think, between the, what we're both saying here. It's so interesting. It's so yeah. damn interesting. I, I think whenever we get that phase five announcement, it's going to be really telling. And this might be, as I 100%. say, just about every single week, this might be a question that we bookmark for a deeper discourse down the line. But hey, thank you guys, uh, everyone, uh, Geo1997 and Master for sending in those quick questions. But we got some news to get into, Matt. You know it. You'll love it. It's the sizzle reel. Kicking things off with some Marvel news. Are we saying goodbye to the Guardians of the Galaxy? Future friend of the show, director James Gunn, recently confirmed that Volume 3 will be the last time fans see this specific roster of everyone's favorite space ensemble. Sticking in Marvel Cosmic, Natalie Portman's Jane Foster may just be getting started. The Phase 1 OG returns in July's Thor Love and Thunder, but current rumors indicate a solo project for Portman is likely coming shortly after. Over to the trickster god, Loki Season 2 is reportedly aiming to begin production this summer. What does this mean for the future of the Tom Hiddleston solo series? We break it down soon. 
Moving over to the blue brand, a Joker sequel looks like it's actually happening. Warner Bros. has reportedly begun pre-production on the Joaquin Phoenix-led film, with filming expected to start in 2023. And James Gunn asked if we really wanted to taste it, and Warner Brothers ordered seconds. The Horribly Beautiful Mind noted a season two of Peacemaker has a, quote, really good chance, and recently confirmed another spinoff connected to that universe is actively being developed. And finally, in news from a galaxy far, far away, Star Wars can't get enough of Bryce Dallas Howard. After crushing last week's episode of Book of Boba Fett, BDH is confirmed to once again be in the director's chair for an episode of The Mandalorian Season 3. And for more information on everything you need to know about the universes you love, be sure to check out thedirect.com. Uh, 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 I'm in the back. Once again, for that one guy in the back who was a little, little slow uh, noticing you didn't hear it, that is I have... the direct <laughs> dot com. Matt. I was fixing my camera. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, so much news to break down this week. A sneaky big week, a sneaky stacked week. Uh, another three, two, one in terms of three Marvel stories, two DC, one Star War. Where do you want to start? I'll pitch it to you. Um, I, I say we go off Loki real quick. We just added it to, to the rundown. <laughs> Let's keep it hot. Loki season two filming, um, early, early summer filming start Liam as the release date guy with the turnaround for this type of show. Where do you see this landing on the MCU slate? Is this a next year kind of thing before or after Ant-Man? Or do you think this is more of an in the can uh, so when they need it kind of situation. I do love my release dates. I do love my release dates. I do think that this means we're getting Loki season two in the first half of 2023. If they're filming this quote unquote early um, for television, you know, we usually get a new season every single year. Loki spacing it out two years, I think is absolutely warranted because we're not just talking about production turnarounds. We're talking about the MCU as a whole and projects need to fall in a certain chronological order better or for more or less better or worse however you want to put it with loki even though it's a grand scale show so much of it takes place within the halls of the tva so the big cgi is limited for a couple episodes a season we're likely only going to get another six episodes which from a production standpoint that's not exactly a crazy long schedule and on top of that too Loki uh, season one only did a couple uh, weeks of shooting before the pandemic had to shut them down. Then they went on hiatus. And long story short, we were able to get that show and a trailer for that show in December 2020. First trailer, first footage. This is a show that officially began production in, I believe, late February, early March 2020. So in less than a year, they were able to turn around a completed trailer. And then we got that series debuting, I believe it was on June 9th. So a year and change after it began filming is when we got Loki season one. If they begin production in summer 2020, summer 2022, excuse me, and that's kind of on the earlier side, we're talking like a, a June, July, I think there's a really good chance we get that season dropping in a year's turnaround. And specifically, what I want to point out, Ant-Man Quantumania, I believe originally initially scheduled for February 2023, which made this season kind of wonky in terms of when are we going to get it? Because it seems like if you if you have to drop this season before Quantumania because Kang is the main villain, 
That means it's going to be kind of rushed. Obviously, the 2021 shakeup in theatrical release uh, schedules pushed everything over, or 2022, excuse me. So now we're getting Quantumania in July of 2023. I think that's a perfect amount of time for Loki to begin filming, enter post-production, polish up the show, give us six weeks of it, and then bleed right into July 28th, Quantumania with Big Bad Kang uh, in the antagonist chair. I know that's a lot of dates. I know that's a lot of information, but does that make any semblance of sense? No, it makes a ton of sense. Like, you know, the turnaround times, not only within, you know, earshot, it's precedented. You know, they, they can do it. And I know this might sound stupid, but they've already shot Loki season one. Obviously, a ton of CGI goes into these Marvel projects in um, environmental design, character design, all the different things, right? A lot of those visual assets, they will be able to repurpose and reuse in Loki season two. I'm talking about the TVA, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it's lit, um, you know, the way magic is handled in that show in a lot of different ways. They're going to be able to repurpose that in post-production, which, you know, maybe doesn't trim off a ton of time. But when you're looking for a quick turnaround project, those are the little things that can kind of make that a more realistic goal than not. If any show is going to turn around quick, you want one with assets already put in um, locations specifically, especially ones like the TVA already being rendered, already being you know established in, in whatever engines they're using will allow them to use more of it, hopefully. Um, as far as narrative, as far as like how this works for the story, it's going to be really interesting, right? Because where do we leave off with Kang? one of, if not the best pieces of exploration we've ever seen in a comic book movie or TV show where it explains who this character is, what he's about, and why we should be worried about him. Um, and then we end on a very scary last line, you know, I'll see you soon kind of thing. I think we all kind of expected the next time we see him to be a variant of him. And, you know, he's, he's into something completely different than controlling the end of time right to get him in loki season two before ant-man quantumania would be really interesting because it leaves the door open to basically reestablish and evolve this character ahead of a movie but also it kind of takes away a little bit of that oh my god he's here kind of vibe into quantumania which is a project and ant-man and the wasp and ip that i think needs a little bit of that buzz you know, like, how are they going to make Ant-Man 3, you know, more exciting than, you know, what Ant-Man did in Endgame? Well, let's have Kang there. To to water that down is not the right word, but to but to, to set that up with a more developed Kang instead of, like, the ambiguous scariness behind Kang, I think it would be an interesting move. But um, I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. And this is not a disservice to Ant-Man or Loki whatsoever. But no. the idea of giving... Ant-Man, a six-week-long marketing campaign in the form of six episodes of Loki. Not saying Loki isn't a story worth telling, because I know Age of Ultron gets a lot of flack for being, you know, marketing for future movies and whatnot. I think that's really neat. I think that's really neat and really unique. And it's something we've talked about on the pod so many times of how the potential for a Disney Plus show to directly bleed into a movie. Like we're talking week to week turnaround here. If and yeah. when they do it, it's going to be something really special. And I, right now, looking at the future slate, I cannot think of a better one-two punch than Loki Season 2 and Ant-Man Quantumania. Sounds like another list we have in our hands. Mm -hmm. You know, like what shows could lead into the movies? What's our favorite show into movie combo ideas? 
that we have. Write that one down, Liam. Um, I think that, I don't know. I, I agree. It would be awesome. It would be really cool to see a true buildup to Quantumania in a way we've never seen. But the fact that it's not a buildup into a Kang movie is where I get a little off base here because how is hyper-developing Kang, <clears throat> Kang going to service the story of Ant-Man Quantumania? I think what would service it more is if there's a bit, there's this ambiguity behind this crazy character that we're all excited to see again. And we're going to find out, you know, what the next shooter drop is in Ant-Man Quantumania. So what if, what if the show came out right after Quantumania mm. and we learn a little bit more about Kang on a variant side and, you know, post credit scene for Quantumania leads right into Kang leading the TVA and Loki too. It'll be interesting to see how they play it. I'm I'm just I'm fascinated at the idea of them uh releasing all this tension behind the Kang character before he's the main villain in a movie that needs a really good villain. It's a good point. It's a good point. Summer 2023 is gonna be a very interesting time for the direct podcast. Marvel's at the end of that summer too. Yeah, right? and isn't that uh, early October, late August? The Marvels, Marvels were getting, I'm pretty sure, February. That's the first pin to drop. 2023 is going to slap. 2023 is going to slap. And you know why else it's going to slap? Because we're getting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 20, Volume 3 Ooh. in 2023. And man, Guardians. Heartbreaking news from Jimmy Gunn over on the Twitter sphere. But it does make sense because when I first heard this news, I viewed it through the lens of Avengers Endgame is the last time we see the original six Avengers on screen together. Doesn't mean those characters are done forever. Well, for some of them, yes. Others, you know, we'll see them in spinoff uh, movies and shows and whatnot. What does uh, a Guardians roster look like post volume three? It's going to be interesting. Um, you know, three movies. That's kind of the standard, right? You know, you get three movies, you wrap up at least some sort of arc. Thor is the exception due to the... We got to come up with a word for it. It's not a soft reboot. It's a tonal reboot, really. Tonal reset. Yeah, rebuild even you know what i mean like the franchise got a, a big 180 it's kind of like bringing in uh, uh uh joe burrow and taking your team all the way to the super bowl you know what i mean it's it's a whole different vibe anyway with the whole guardians thing as far as like what a new roster looks like i think it really comes down to who they pick off in guardians volume three it's a guardians movie so someone's gonna die <laughs> like that's just what happens uh in guardians movies it was group it was yondu who are we getting next? Um, as far as like, uh, so there's what? Seven Guardians right now? There's Peter, Gamora, Rocket, Groot, Drax, Nebula, Mantis. Those are our official Guardians right now. Um, I think Gamora's off the table because they wouldn't bring her back just to kill her off again. I feel like that's a swing and a miss from an emotional impact standpoint. I don't see Jimmy Gunn doing that. Um, Rocket is actually my least likely because I think he has the biggest potential for a Disney Plus spinoff. Uh-huh. Imagine a side mission focused Bradley Cooper, Vin Diesel, Rocket, and Groot exploring MCU Cosmic in a Disney Plus show. You know, it's 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 more realistic because of the voice acting aspect of it. You know, you'd really don't have to pay Cooper and Diesel what you would normally have to pay those two giant movie stars to do a 10 episode run of rocket just rolling through space being funny star lord's probably the favorite to die here i think i and 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 the reason i say that is because of this news liam he says this is the last time we'll see this team together that can mean as little 
no offense to these characters, that can mean as little as a Mantis or a Drax or a very uh, supplementary character dying in this show. We don't see this exact seven again. But if the goal and the intention is to put a final chapter on this team in a first chapter on a new team, I feel like Star-Lord is the most synonymous with this team. Like, like no matter what you do with the roster around him, as long as he's there, it's still going to be this Guardians, you know what I mean? Plus, think about the emotional impact. <laughs> like, if Chris Pratt goes down, um, you know, you can focus the movie on Peter's love for being a Guardian of the Galaxy, and then he, you know, sacrifices himself, and Gamora takes that on and starts a new Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that could be cool. Drax would be my sneaky pick, but... Um, yeah, so it really just depends on who dies for who joins. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I'm going to go with Drax as my favorite for a couple reasons, most of them being industry-related. He's got a bit of a yeah. rocky relationship with Disney, unfortunately. And not that yeah. I think that they would kill off his character because he's difficult to work with. And that's the thing. He's not difficult to work with. He just stuck up for James Gunn. And, you know, he he put himself at risk of ever being cast in Hollywood again. But at the same time, it was for a good reason. You know, take a stand, even if it means everyone turns their back on you type thing. And Dave Batista is that, that kind of guy. Also, though, I think he might be a little exhausted from the franchise. Uh, I, I think this franchise has give, given him everything. It's given him a new lease on life. Like people forget pre-2014 Guardians, Dave Batista wasn't getting cast anywhere. And now he is a legitimate actor. I will go as far to say he is the best actor of a post wrestler actor working in hollywood i think he has more chops than cena or rock combined like this dude can go and for that reason i think he wants to explore other franchises i don't think he wants to be tied down to drax forever so i i think that there is a way to kind of set him free from the mcu while also you know ending his character arc because that's the thing too i don't think drax has super long legs in the mcu going forward i think there is still more to do with Star-Lord post-Guardians. That also might change post-Guardians 3 because we're getting him in Love and Thunder. We're getting him in the holiday special. He might have done everything he could do when Volume 3 rolls around. But as of right now, in terms of completed characters, uh, characters that could have one last hurrah and it makes sense for us to say goodbye, Drax is at the top of my list. I I, I agree. Um, I, I said Star-Lord is my favorite because of this news. You know, to get rid of one team, you got to get rid of the face of it. I think Drax has the most narrative sense here because his family storyline has been very lightly planted throughout these two movies. You know, his whole, the fact that he lost his whole family, his quest to kill Thanos, all this stuff, right? A resolution plus sacrifice situation, I think, could be the play here with Drax. I do also think if they do the first half of Guardians 3 correctly and really just hammer home the family aspect that they established in Guardians 2, you know, that's what the movie was about, right? Family. And, um, you know, to bring that back uh, at the first half of this movie, every other character of the team can have a big impact at the death of Drax. I feel like, I think about, um, is it Guardians 2? Yeah, it's Guardians 2 when Quill is still out there with Yondu and Drax is like, well, is Quill back? And they're like, no. And Rocket's like, I can't lose more friends today. And Drax loses his mind. Like, like Drax is distraught that, that Peter's not back yet. So, mm -hmm. like, I think anybody who's willing to die for anyone on this team, Drax could, you know, represent that with a death here. And as far as, like, who can make up a new team, as far as, like, members we've 
people we've already seen before, I don't know. Because it's going to be interesting. Uh, Korg and Meek are in play. I think that nice. um, yeah. some of the old Ra- the old Ravagers on Stallone's team are in play. You got Martin X, the diamond skin guy, played by Michael Rosenbaum, who is the best live-action Lex Luthor ever. Um, Kruger is a space sorcerer who has legit Doctor Strange magic um, on, on his team. And then Mainframe played by our queen, Miley Cyrus, Miley Cyrus yeah. um, at the end of Guardians too. So like those players are in play. Nova, I think, would be the best replacement if it is a Star-Lord situation. A lot of Guardians comics that I've read anyway are militarian. Like, they're space – like, like they're a lot – it's very Star Wars-y in that, like, they're like Han Solos. You know, they're rebels. They're, you know, for hire bounty hunters, you could say, I guess. You know, the Guardians get paid to save the galaxy, right? That's kind of their hook. You know, if we could save the galaxy, we get to double our profits. A cha-ching, bingo. Having the team focus more on that in a military kind of way, you know, general Star-Lord, like, like you know, Commander Gamora, all that stuff, I think could be really cool for a Disney Plus show. Um, and uh, Nova could be a good spark to that. You know, you know, why don't you do some good kind of thing? The Leia to their Han. I do like that idea of Nova and potentially a Disney Plus show. A question I want to ask you that kind of leads into some Thor, uh, Natalie Portman, Jane Foster conversation. If we do get a Natalie Portman spinoff, I don't think it's a traditional spinoff. I think it's just a Thor 5 with her in the lead. Do we think that the Guardians are a similar thing in terms of Thor and Captain America? Captain America 4 is not a Steve Rogers movie. It's a Sam Wilson movie, but it retains the legacy title. Do we think Guardians retires with volume three or do you think we get a volume four just with a completely new roster it's going to be interesting to see and again you know this is you know dodging the question a little bit but it does it again comes back to who makes it out of volume three right that's going to kind of decide the direction they take um to separate it from what the james gunn trilogy is going to be i think that a new title or uh, some sort of different title like gamora and the guardians of the galaxy mm. or something like that Very but the thing book. is yeah right guardians has a star wars quality to it or at least the first two movies and what we can assume that we're going to get in the volume three with james gunn and you know just what he does for characters specifically characters we've never heard of we're seeing it in peacemaker right now that there's a magic behind a guardians of the galaxy movie in the mcu there's a certain charm to those movies that i don't think can be quantified or replicated and so to bring in a new director new writing team and all that stuff to try to do what james gunn did but just the volume four version of it i think would be foolish because i I don't think you're going to capture that magic we saw it in the sequel trilogy we saw it in the prequel trilogy it's hard to capture the the charisma of a movie like star Wars or guardians. Um, so I, I don't know what the best move is. If they're going to keep the title, I think that they should lean more into some narrative things about guardians that they could play with. Like I said, the military stuff. I mean, you look at the Russo brothers, you know, two of the greatest comic book directors of all time. Right. I don't think they do anything particular, particularly special, from a tone or vibe standpoint, it's just everything they do is executed so damn well. Their storytelling with their action and their character development all blends. But with James Gunn, you know, we admit on this show all the time, it's mostly joke, 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 drama, but it works every single time. And so like, 
to find another director to replicate that, I think is a fool's errand, but to find someone to come in and try to capture just the charisma of it, it just, it's going to depend on what they have to work with. Does Matt Remke think the Russo brothers are system directors? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I just think that I think that they do action movies better than anyone does action movies when you add the character development and emotion behind it. Interesting. Interesting. James I, Gunn, that's a whole different brand of movie. You say space opera all the time. Can you name two of them? Like, like it's it's a James Gunn movie, it's its own thing. Anthony Russo movies are the best of those types of movies. I raise you one Jupiter Ascending, which stars sure. Channing Tatum and absolutely bombed at the box office and was released in February for good reason, because that's where movies go to die. Why would you leave Mila Kudis out of that? Uh, little you know title? that movie? Channing Tatum and Mila Kunis? Yeah, I'm watching that movie. dude. <laughs> hot people on screen. That's my thing. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, speaking of hot people on screen, Joaquin Phoenix Joker 2? I I just I grasp at straws for that transition, but that's where we're at. Guy, (laughs) not really in that movie though. Arthur Fleck, geez, he he Christian bailed for that role one hundred percent. Crazy, crazy person. Anyways, though, Joker two. This was news that kind of caught me by surprise because I never saw it get officially announced, and now we're talking about (laughs) pre-production. We're talking about filming dates. Wow. Okay. My question to you, Matt. Joker two. Simple. Do we need this movie? Interesting question, Liam. Um, on one hand, I say no, because I like how contained and novelistic Joker was. You know, it, it felt like a one-off, but I we've talked about it on this podcast. I think the one-off movies are dead. You know, like we're going to get everything we can out of everything, no matter how it makes the fans feel. So that sucks. So on one hand, I want to say no, but on the other hand, the ending of that movie, when he officially becomes Joker and does the smile thing, like, and that's like, I'm now the Joker moment. One of my favorite comic book movie moments of all time. I thought it was so well shot. I felt the emotion behind it. It was creepy, man. Like Heath Ledger's Joker is a cartoon creepy Joker. This was like real life creepy. <laughs> like, like the blood on, uh, it was so cool, right? To not follow up on that origin moment would be a little weird. You know, just to leave him like that. Like what happens afterwards? It's absurd. It's absurd, Liam, that with Joker 2, we will now have four running live-action Bruce Waynes in different movies. Two of them in The Flash, one of them in The Batman, and one in The Joker world. Absurd that that's actually going to be a thing. Unless (laughs) they somehow make Bob Pattinson's Bruce Wayne the same Bruce Wayne from The Joker. But, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I want that. Well, part of the reason is because I'm hooked on Barry Kogan. I love that idea. I love that concept. But also in terms of timelines, because if that's the plan, I don't think it was the original plan. And Bruce Wayne is a child in the first Joker movie. And that first Joker movie, it takes place in the present day. No? I don't know. I don't think so. It has a timeless New York kind of look. I don't, I, I got to rewatch it. I've only seen it one time. I saw an IMAX actually. I saw it once and I don't want to see it again because it made me feel I do wildly see it uncomfortable. Again. 
You don't want to see it again? I recognize it's a great movie, but I'm not going to sit down and be like, oh, Friday night, let's pop on Joker. Like, what? Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know what? Thursday night, Shawshank. Why not? <laughs> you know? Just, I don't know. Shawshank's different. I could rewatch that movie any day of the week. Um, But I think I'd, I, I would have to look at what time that's set, but there's a child, Bruce Wayne, in that movie. It could suck. And it could spoil what we're hoping is a great universe the Batman is building. I agree. It could suck. But if they somehow tie the that Bruce Wayne scene, another one in the sequel, in with the Bob Pattinson, the Batman, the Batman 3 might be the greatest movie of all time. Where it's, it's Alien vs. Predator, Godzilla vs. Kong, Batman vs. Joker. We've gotten to know both sides of the battle now coming coming together in the third movie like that's unprecedented yeah it's like it's it shazam and black adam i think are going to be the first time we see a villain and a hero both established independently coming together to fight each other he raised a good point but i still just want to keep them separate i agree i agree this is the four batman liam four Mm -hmm. moon knight's getting a show and we have four live-action Batman happening. Absurd. That's the best way to put it. Absolutely absurd. Let's stick with DC uh, for just a little bit. More James Gunn DC projects on the way. You know, he talks about Guardians being the final time we see this roster of characters. I don't want to say he's creatively dry with the Guardians, because I think there's still a lot more to, to do with that team. But I think he is a lot more intrigued by his sandbox of just DC goodies in terms of what he can do going forward. The question I ask you, though, is this the right direction for the DCEU? Because, let me put a little qualifier on that, wrote an article recently on James Gunn responding to a fan that tweeted an image of two DC trinities. One was Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman from Batman v Superman. And the other was Peacemaker, Vigilante, and that girl from the apartment after having a threesome in the bed. And he tweeted that picture along with the caption, no one can save DC anymore. Hashtag boycott Warner Brothers. Extreme caption, wild. James Gunn responded saying, you know, DC is a wide variety of stories attached four images from just very different comics. We had a Spectre in there, Plastic Man, Batman, and I believe Dr. Manhattan, just showing the wide range of DC properties. But I think the fan did raise somewhat of a valuable point in terms of focusing the DCEU on these wacky, zany, Z-list characters when there are so many A-listers that haven't even been touched yet. Is this current direction for the DCEU the right path? I, if, if all you want in your DCEU is Justice League stuff, I say no, because this is going to, this is going to really put a weird wrinkle in that. Suicide Squad was supposed to be the guardians of the DCEU where it's like, hey, here's our fun, zany, out there comedy entry, but everything else is focused on the Avengers, right? The thing is, though, four or five years, they did the DCEU thing, and I would say it was a flop. The Obviously, the Justice League situation, as horrible as it was, that Zack Snyder had to step away and Joss Whedon came in and made a completely different movie. That did throw a wrench in things, sure, but it happened. We can't act like it didn't happen. We can't say, well, but 
because they're still making movies based on that movie. They're still trying to make it work. So you need to look at what's winning right now in the Suicide Squad, at least for me personally, you know, and what do I know? I don't know shit about fuck, but the Suicide Squad was my favorite DCEU thing ever. So I, I'm for that type of stuff. What I like about it, especially with Peacemaker, it's very inconsequential, it feels like. Like, we talk about small-scale stories all the time. How It doesn't get much more small-scale than Peacemaker when everybody in the show is covert. Like, like the local police don't know what's going on in Peacemaker. So, like, you don't have to reference Peacemaker or other places. I see a lot more of that from James Gunn. I think that... Hopefully they bring back more of a Justice League, a main uh, you call it MCU proper, right? Yeah. They 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 get like a DCEU proper back on track. Hopefully the Flash does that, right? I think that James Gunn could be handling the side stories in a really fun, awesome, creative way. I'm here for it. I'm also here for it, but I I recognize the complaint that fans may have because at this point in the MCU, we're always going to compare the two because it's all we got right now. It's cool to get excited about an Agatha Harkness spinoff series. But can you imagine if Agatha Harkness was like the only thing on the docket? And it's not that it's the only thing on DCEU's docket, but in the article I wrote, you know, next year, 2023, the DC Extended Universe turns 10 years old. Man of Steel will be 10 years old. And in that time, no solo Batman movie, no Man of Steel sequel, and one rushed canon theatrical cut of the justice league like if i'm a diehard dc comics fan that sucks that sucks yeah and it's like that's why i believe we talked about it in the quick question or mailbag last week the reset uh the reboot of the dceu i think that's what they should have done like i'm not even talking like an in-universe you know flash changes everything and now we move forward i'm talking about just scrapping it all and starting from scratch like i think that's what they yeah. should have done from the start and it's not to say that peacemaker isn't a good show it's a great show it's not to say suicide squad is a bad movie it's a fantastic movie but from a fan perspective when you look at the last six months and you see dc have one crushing movie with a uh, ensemble of z-listers plus harley quinn and now they do a spin-off of an of a z-lister and now we got two more probably z-list spin-offs in the works it's hard not to be frustrated that, you know, there's no Nightwing on the way. For sure. I, I agree. And I'm, I'm also frustrated, but I do want to talk to, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to whoever um, was that fan you were talking about that posted it. And I'm just talking to the generic DC fan that is upset that James Gunn is only making these zany spinoff type shows. Is the implication like I'd rather James Gunn be making a Superman movie or a Batman movie? Because here's the thing. He's not going to do that. James Gunn is not going to make a mainstream character superhero movie because he knows if he wants to put his vision out there with those characters, it's going to get ripped apart left and right because everybody has something they want this character to be. I want my Superman movie to look and feel like this. I want my Superman movie to have this plot with this action and this character development. James Gunn doesn't want that narrative limitation. That's why he handles the Z-list so he can bring them to life in his own way without every single DC comic fan pounding him for not making the Superman or Batman that he wants. So 
if the complaint is that James Gunn is only making these movies, these are the only movies and shows James Gunn should be making because it lets him do his thing. You know what I mean? They, they wouldn't let him do the James Gunn thing in a Superman movie. They simply wouldn't do it. So we would get a watered-down James Gunn movie, and then everyone would hate him for that. I think this guy knows his roles, knows his role, and he shuts his mouth until it's time to open it, and he's pretty damn loud when that happens. Um, so when when you talk about why aren't they doing these more major projects, it's it's exactly what you just said. They won't commit to the past or the future. They're in a huge limbo here. And me saying that just now, we can't commit to the past or the future. Sounds like a tagline for the Flash, but big. <laughs> <laughs> And I hope they take it that way. Like this is the flash is their chance to establish what the hell is going on. Oh, by the way, one woman three, like, like who knows really? But I just, I know one thing, if you're upset because James Gunn isn't making your mainstream characters, you don't want James Gunn making a Superman movie. You just don't. The Matt Remke pipe bomb here on the direct podcast, episode 72 bookmark it. That was, that was magical right there. We'll close out with some star Wars news. Nothing too crazy. BDH back. BDH is back. And I only put in the rundown W. That's all, that's all it is. It's a win. It's a win. Matt, you said something on Twitter. Say it, say it again here. I think this is my pick for the next blockbuster star Wars project is Bryce Dallas Howard. Give her a trilogy. Give her a trilogy. Give her the keys. Like, like get, put her next to John Favreau in every meeting. Like, she's directed three Star Wars things, right? Let's let, let's take a look at what those three things were. Chapter four and Mando one. That's the episode where we met Cara Dune, a character we were all really interested in by the end of her run. R.I.P. Cara Dune. Um, uh, and the ATST vibe. This is one ATST against a waterlogged village. This is how scary the Empire was. Like, she captured that. She captured that magic. Mando 2 introduces Bo-Katan and the Death Watch Mandalorians. Like, like she captured the New Age Star Wars magic. And then last week, obviously, we saw what she did with Mandalorian Chapter 17, a.k.a. AKA Book of Boba Fett Chapter 5. I think it's as Star Wars as anything else in recent years. She gets the assignment when it comes to capturing the vibe of Star Wars. I talked about it earlier. It's hard to recreate the magic. I think she gets as close as anyone else. I'm going to push back a little bit, but I do completely agree. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard is fantastic. I just don't think a trilogy is is the right move from a creative standpoint. Um, I do agree she should have a role expanded, but I think you give her a Disney Plus series. I think you give sure. her... You know, same exact vibe, like in terms of a trilogy versus a season, still like six hours of content, 100%. essentially. But I think with a season of television and allowing her to be the creative mind behind it in the John Favreau role, essentially, I think you have limitless creative freedom in terms of a movie has to make box office at the end of the day. You wonder why studios interfere because they're concerned about getting their return on investment. A streaming series, hey, you're paying seven bucks whether you watch it or not. And that's why I love the idea of a Percy Jackson series because it's creative freedom. It's Rick Reardon getting to do his thing. And you give Bryce Dallas Howard a Star Wars show. I think she gets to do her thing. And one thing that's kind of doing its thing recently, Book of Boba Fett, penultimate episode, chapter six. Let's dive in. (laughs) 
ladies and gentlemen, the book of Boba Fett chapter six is here and wow, was an event. Um, uh, Liam, we, uh, we just watched a crazy episode of Star Wars that I think is bigger than anybody imagined it could be as a chapter six of a Disney plus Boba Fett show. Um, I think that's a fair statement. So in order to really capture everything that happened and to have all the expertise and all the knowledge we can have going into it, uh, time to bring in the big guns, time to bring in our Star Wars expert, um, friend of the show, direct podcast from Duval, Jack Pews. Jack, how we doing? Doing good, man. Uh, it's crazy to be here. Still in disbelief. I mean, it seems like the NFL is falling apart. The Jacksonville Jaguars are falling apart. But here we are talking about the Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> it just it seems appropriate. It's a, it's a pretty wild time to be alive. Uh, Jack, Liam, myself, I feel, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. We all just watched this within the last three hours, correct? Oh, yeah. Finished 10 minutes ago. Like, <laughs> like how, how are we even possibly going to quantify our thoughts and organize a uh, correct analysis on what we just saw, but Liam, I'm going to go to you first to give it a first shot. You know, you, you, you get to take the first swing at explaining what just happened on screen. Uh, overall thoughts, spoiler free book of Boba Fett chapter six. I don't know the title. Something about deserts. Fantastic. Oh my gosh. From, I actually forgot. Yeah, something about desert. desert and a stranger. Something in it could be something about deserts and I would have believed you <laughs> either way. Um, Every problem I have with the book of Boba Fett that I addressed last week is still present in this week's episode. But the positives in this week's episode are too overwhelmingly great to even focus on the negatives whatsoever. So if you're curious as to why I'm a little frustrated with the book of Boba Fett's direction, check out last week's review. I'll tell you everything that uh, you need to know. This week's episode is, and I'll say it, I'm the hyperbole guy sometimes. I'm the big superlative guy. This is the single most star-studded episode of Disney Plus television ever produced, and that includes Marvel shows. I'm not willing to say it's the best just yet because other, sh other episodes have made me feel more emotions. They've made me laugh harder. They've made me cry harder. They've made me cheer harder. But never have I ever imagined just the roster of characters put together on screen, the interactions on screen. Every single minute of this episode was milked to the best way possible. They maximized 47 minutes of Star Wars television in this episode, and Dave Filoni just gets it. Dave Filoni and Bryce Dallas Howard just understand Star Wars on a molecular level. I mentioned in chapter one, that one chunky monster that I said, I can't pinpoint what's wrong with it, but it just doesn't feel Star Wars. You know, you can't describe it. It just didn't feel Star Wars. Every single aspect of this episode, from the creatures to the lines of dialogue to the way characters just spoke, was so tried and true, galaxy far, far away. And I can't wait to talk specifics. And I'm so glad we have Jack here because Jack is going to do his best to quantify all the excitement we have. Matt and I probably can't put into words some of our excitement. And then Jack is our dictionary. So I'm stoked. This is going to be fun. I'm going to go to the dictionary next. Jack, overall thoughts on uh, this incredible event that was Boba Fett Chapter 6. I feel such a weight of responsibility now. I'm over here <laughs> trying to rack my brain. Like, what the hell do I even say? Like, uh, by the way, the title is From the Desert Comes a Stranger, uh, which is a really cool title. I mean, that sounds like a I like something from the desert 
uh, something about the desert better. I think that could be a better title. For this something from the desert. <laughs> All right. That's a new official title. We got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This episode, I, it's the same thing as last week, just on like times 1000. This is some of the most quintessential star Wars you'll ever see star Wars. Like, I mean, it's, this is what star Wars is. And the only way I can describe it, Liam kind of touched on it. The only way I can describe it is I feel like a little kid again. Like, I, I don't even know what it is. And there was, some, you know, chapter two of the book of Boba Fett, like, I, I adore that episode. And I think it was the best of the first four. But there's just a tier or two tiers or three tiers or four tiers above where you find these last two episodes. This one's on the mountaintop. Like, I think it's the best. It's probably the best Disney Plus episode of television I've watched. One of the best Star Wars television episodes I've watched. Um, I'm still in disbelief, honestly. Um, I, <laughs> I kind of have a better sense of where the show is going forward. I, I like the setup that they gave in this episode, but um, I just, I sat there with a grin on my face the whole time on the verge of tears, just nonstop. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was a treat, uh, you know, for all Star Wars fans, but specifically the Dave Filoni animation fans really got, uh, really got their flowers today. Um, for me, this episode was nothing that I expected, yet also everything I wanted all at the same time, which is a weird thing, weird uh, paradox. Uh, what is it? Uh, the Departed? It's a paradox. Uh, uh, it's it's really interesting that, you know, I, I've I've been watching Clone Wars. It's 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 what I've been I've been doing it over the past week and a half. Jack has actually been helping me kind of guide through it because you guys have an organization problem, but this is why people don't want to jump on board. And um, I blame you guys, but um, it's uh, for people who know this episode was euphoria. You know what I mean? This episode was as elite as elite gets for people who don't know. I think there's an excitement behind these characters and what we saw and how we saw it and all of that. Uh, Liam, you brought up something last week that's kind of been stuck in my head uh, all morning after I watched this episode. If this was a Marvel show, and a supporting character was getting their own project. And by the end of it, um, you know, all the cameos, all the diversion from the main story, all that happened. I'd be really frustrated because in the MCU, character building is what they're built on. You know, the world building is always secondary to the characters. That's what makes it work. But if this was a Game of Thrones show, I think it would be one of the best episodes, uh, you know, we ever got in Game of Thrones. You know, it's just a different way to look at each universe. So um, it's it's just so wild to think that this is going to be such a polarizing season for people after this episode, you know, because it's just crazy. We can't we can't go on without talking about. Appearance on the spoiler vomit, Jack. Um, wow, guys, a lot of people showed up at this one. You know what I mean? Um, to go off my analogy, this is like if Killmonger, Falcon, uh, Black Widow, and Iron Man all showed up in WandaVision randomly. Like, like that's. That's how I equate the cameos in this show. Oh, by the way, baby Groot's there too, right? Like, like, <laughs> like there's so much specialness to all the different characters we got from Ahsoka to Grogu to Luke, everybody. Um, so I think we need to start kind of at the top. 
Um, this show was primarily about Luke and Grogu, and this was this was Empire 2.0, <laughs> like like it really was. This was the Jedi training scene between uh, Luke and Grogu. Uh, so many parallels between Luke and Yoda, Liam. Um, I think I think let, let's get the CGI stuff out of the way, right? Let's talk about the presence of Luke first. Everybody was nervous going in, and you know, coming out. I'm interested to see how people react to. TGI Luke, not just being in this episode, being a predominant force in this episode. Luke, how did it hit you, you know, getting Mark Hamill back in the CGI suit to do this all over again? Me, right? I said Liam, right? You said Luke. You said Luke. Which I'm honored. Guys, it's early. It's early. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Liam, buddy, pal, friend, guy, Luke, go. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna surprisingly push back here a little bit because after I finished this episode, I googled who played Luke Skywalker in the Book of Boba Fett. I the CGI did not hit me. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how because this was also in the broad daylight too, like where CGI is usually very faulty. I don't know what it was. I don't know how they mopped it up. But for me personally, I was trying to think. I was like, is that Sebastian Stan? No, that doesn't really look too much like him. Who could that be? Did they get it unknown? Do they have someone else? doing the voice when his face isn't shown on screen. I didn't have CGI issues. And I know that I'm probably in the minority here, but I just compared to Mandalorian chapter 16, where it was very apparent, but we were all willing to overlook it because he just had a hood up and sliced and diced a bunch of dark troopers for the past 10 minutes. This episode, he showed his face. He spoke. He interacted with Grogu. He interacted with fucking Ahsoka. And that was that. Like I, I don't, I personally did not have CGI issues. I, you just said dark troopers and I was like, whoa, like right. I forgot dark troopers exist. <laughs> like, like that's crazy. Star Wars is awesome. Uh, uh, Jack, did you have any CGI issues at all? Or are you more on uh, Liam's side here? It was the same way as Liam, same thought process. I saw it and I was like, I was nervous. And then I saw it, like, they're sitting on those rocks and I was like, is that Sebastian Stan? Did they get a new actor? Who is that? Like I genuinely, it, the CGI never hit me. Um, I will say the voice hit me though, because I still think that is digitally modified in some way. I don't know if it's Mark Hamill's voice and then they do a bunch of stuff to it and then they put it out or what, because I mean, the voice I think was a little bit tougher in the Mando season two finale, but there were just certain moments when he was talking where I'm like, he's talking very succinctly and very mm. specific. And when he says to Ahsoka, uh, will I ever see you again? I'm like, oh, okay, that's a little rough. But in terms of the way it looked, I was blown, just blown away. And I can tell you why I think it looks better, guys. After the Mando season two finale came out, there was a YouTuber who does deep fake videos and he did a deep fake kind of like a, 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 I wouldn't say a redo, but kind of did that Mando season two finale with Luke and put, did a deep fake instead. And it looks a lot better. Lucasfilm hired that guy after that video came go. out. And I think huh. that's where this is apparent here. Um, and, you know, people were bringing it up like, oh, they hired him for a reason. I'm like, they're not going to get Luke like this again. He, if he comes back, it's going to be for a little bit. And here he is just in the middle of this thing, looking good as ever, like Liam said, in broad daylight, I, I just thought it was beautiful. Um, you mentioned the voice. It's funny. Like I said, I've been on a Star Wars kick lately, and I watched Empire like two or three weeks ago. So I went from, it's impossible, to 
this very calm, <laughs> soft-spoken Luke Skywalker a little bit. So it was yeah. a little jarring. I agree. Uh, the voice I thought was really great until that line that mm-hmm. will I ever see you? Uh, you know, maybe he's a scroll. We don't know. But um, as far as the CGI, uh, I was I was laser focused on it as soon as it came up. You know what I mean? I was like, OK, if you're going to do this, it better be great. And it was um the what's interesting about how they did it was the first few shots of luke were just very still shots where like he's not moving his face very much you can play that off any day of the week that's what rogue one should have done with leia was just show her face and then off screen have her say hope or whatever um and then you know so they would show his face but it's not moving and then when he talked his face was off screen like they did a lot of that so in my head, I'm like, oh, he's going to be in here for one scene and then we're going to get out of here before anybody has a chance. No, no, no. He's going to have full-on dialogue with multiple characters walking and talking, like Liam said, in broad daylight. It's crazy. For me, it's always when they talk, the teeth get me. The teeth always mm-hmm. get me, no matter what. I don't know what it is. But this was as good as the de-aging, right? Is that what we're calling it? Or is this yeah. just a CGI total thing, right? I don't even know at this point. It's not Mark Hamill, obviously, but like, do we call it de-aging? I don't, well, here's the thing, because in the Disney Gallery episode, they talked about like they had three options, one of three options. One of them was de-aging. One of them was like a CGI. One of them was deep fake. And I think they went, I guess it was a CGI. I forget. Someone knows. But like they had Mark Hamill there. Yeah. And then I don't know if they like just took some of his performance and put it on that other guy's face. Or whatnot. I mean, because clearly there's a body double there, um, but I'm not sure what it is specifically. But it looks ten times better than it did before. Little fun pack for you, Jack. The body double is one of the star pilots from the last episode yes. that pulled Mando over. Um, yes, I didn't realize that until afterward. Not Simulius' dad, <laughs> but um, really? I thought the CGI was in the uh, no, not in real mm-hmm. life in the uh, oh. show. Kim's no. convenience. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay yeah. i was like wow. there you go see we he got to be on a star wars review yeah, he must have tweeted in like 2011 like i simulate use dad will be a pilot in a star wars show 100 percent. yeah red leader in my future um so uh i think cgi was done as good as it could have been my whole hate for bringing back legacy characters is really taking a lot of shots lately spider-man it worked here it worked you know, like, like there's a lot for people to point at and say, why not bring everyone back? But that's a different conversation for a different time. The Luke Grogu story. The fact that we got to see Luke train Grogu as a Jedi here extensively, like not just, not just physically, not just, you know, philosophically, but also just like how to, you know, be a better person. He was Yoda today. And that's just a crazy thing. Liam, as far as Grogu being a Jedi, how, how do we feel about the the parallels between Empire here? Obviously, a ton of fun stuff, but also just the narrative of Grogu being trained by Luke Skywalker in what seems to be a pretty focused kind of way. I loved it. I absolutely adored it. Uh, this is the Luke that I've wanted since 2015. <laughs> the Force Awakens, the final shot of Jesus Luke, because that's what he is at the end of Force Awakens. He is Jesus Christ in Star Wars. And... You know, even though I've come around on a lot of aspects of The Last Jedi, I still stand with Mark Hamill because Mark Hamill did say specifically, that's not the Luke I remember. And I know characters go through changes and whatnot, but I yearned to see hopeful, optimistic, and teacher Luke again. And we got to see him. Like, this wasn't even just like in Mandalorian where, 
oh, he's still in that same mindset, but he's just going to take the kid away and he's going to work with the lightsaber. We're all going to cheer. No, this was teacher Luke in full force, pun intended. Like it's, it was incredible. I loved, I love specifically the jump aspect, the little, the little nuances, not even just talking about how to work a lightsaber or how to let the force flow through you and whatnot, teaching Grogu how to jump because everyone's always wondering like, how do Jedi's just become just unbelievable CrossFit athletes out of nowhere? And, you know, he's like, you know, let the force flow through you. And then it works with the training ball and whatnot. It was perfect. It's an all-time montage. And this episode is going to be one of those episodes for this montage reason that I just go back and put on in the background because it just makes me feel so happy. So would the montage be better with the Falcon Winter Soldier music behind it, though? it'd be pretty sick um it'd be pretty cool uh jack you know leah mentioned something there about you know luke in the sequels versus luke now what i've learned watching two seasons of clone wars i hate to be that guy i hate to be the hey i've watched two seasons you should be watching it now um (laughs) so that guy but um i'm learning about star wars and i'm realizing about all their movies slowly dipping into a different character is something they really focus on the slow build of the character development for Luke between episode six and episode seven, because of the Kylo stuff, I think is really emphasized uh, in um, the, the last Jedi, but Liam's right here. We get to spotlight the, the peak peak Luke Skywalker that we got a taste of in Jedi and now here, but I don't want to talk to you about Grogu. I wanted to talk to you and I want to see how emotional you can get at the idea of Luke Skywalker having a conversation with Ahsoka Tano. Again, I'm two seasons in and I already know how big of a moment this is for anyone who's a fan of Clone Wars. Anakin Skywalker's Padawan, best friend Minty, talking to Luke Skywalker, who looks exactly like Anakin in the show, by the way. Um, thoughts <laughs> yeah i honestly it's it's kind of what you said at the top of this review it's not what i was expecting between or with their first interaction on screen but it's everything i wanted because i think none of us i guess expected once we saw soka and mando that they had already met her and luke and maybe they hadn't maybe that just happened off screen afterward Um, but I kind of think that it's there. And I think she always was implying when she told Grogu to go to Tython on top of that little mountain there, uh, on the seeing stone, I think she always kind of knew Luke was out there and that Luke was going to come around and that's who Grogu was going to reach out to. Um, yeah, I need to rewatch it again, uh, because I kind of missed some of the dialogue because I was just in like complete awe of what was happening. Um, (laughs) But when she said, she says something along the lines of, you're just like your father. And I was like, holy shit. Like, just like, there's so much weight behind it. And that's that thing of like, and this isn't any kind of movie, you know, whatever your universe or thing is, it, you just know something, you hear something and you can't explain what's happening inside you, but you just know there's so much weight behind a certain action or certain piece of dialogue. And you're like, wow. And you get a flood of those feelings back from the Clone Wars. And I'm rewatching Clone Wars with you, Matt. And just seeing their interaction, Anakin and Ahsoka's, and I can't wait till you see what comes afterward um, and, and what it all leads to. But it's just 
there's so much emotion there. And, and even from Luke, I think, you know, wanting to get a piece of his father again, like he got that with Obi-Wan, he got that with Yoda um, and he probably got it somewhere. I mean, and he, he got to see a little bit of Anakin toward the end. Cause he turned back to Anakin instead of Vader, but like he, I think he kind of longs for that connection to his father in the prequels. Luke doesn't know they're the prequels, but they are the prequels, Luke. Um, back in that time <laughs> of the Republic, like I think he just wants a piece of that. And I also, what I love about it is they're having this discussion and you can tell Luke is struggling. This is his first student. He's kind of struggling because his student is elsewhere. His mind is elsewhere. He's thinking about Mando. He's thinking about Din. So I just thought it was a beautiful conversation. And then of course, even though it was a little, little bit jarring, but uh, will I ever see you again? She says, perhaps. And she does a little nod. And I was like, oh yeah. Like, I don't know if it's Mando season three, but it's definitely the Ahsoka show coming up next year. And I can't wait. I need more of them together. Um, I want to see them in action together. It's just, it was so beautiful. Jedi's talking to each other, man. When she says, I'm a friend of the family. Oh my God. <laughs> come on, man. Like, like that's stupid. Awesome. The way they played that off. Um, that, I was, all, I was just going to say R2 as well, because I forget just watching Clone Wars. Ahsoka and R2 have Ahsoka a relationship R2, yeah. because he's right there. And she, when she said, that's why R2 took you to me. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's just, it's great. The R2 thing is, again, I just get mad at the prequels the more I watch Clone Wars. Because why does Anakin know R2 in the original trilogy? Why doesn't Darth Vader know no. who R2 is? That's ridiculous. Even Obi-Wan. Uh. <laughs> um, but anyway... Um, Liam, Ahsoka presented Grogu, well, Ahsoka and Luke together with Mando. Um, that's a sentence I just said. Um, uh, presented Grogu with kind of a choice here at the end of this episode. You know, he got the little chain mill uh, shirt. Little you know, Scott like Steiner I, action. Exactly. That's just deep cut for anyone. <laughs> if, if anyone understood that reference, please tweet me because I would be really impressed. I was just about to say it. Um, I wonder if he gets like a dual color beard after this. <laughs> but um, he he can either get the chain meal. And I don't know if he's going to war, if he's going to a nightclub. You know what I mean? Like, can't really tell the vibe of that shirt. But become a foundling Mandalorian or get Yoda's lightsaber. We got the toothpick lightsaber, guys. And become a Jedi. That's a that's an option that Grogu was presented, and Ahsoka put it pretty clearly. Like if if Grogu sees you, it's only going to make it worse. Detachment from the things you love—that's the Jedi way, right? Liam, how do you think Grogu is going to approach that option? And just narratively, because Grogu can't talk, so like we can't get too much into what he's thinking and feeling. Narratively, how do you see that choice he's making come to fruition? Because we, we very clearly have a Jedi storyline being built and, you know, the bounty hunter Mandalorian Boba Fett stuff is established off and running. You know, do we see him jumping in with that or being a part of this new Jedi order that we're hoping to build? Well, a big thing that Luke says, which is a huge qualifier on this whole thing is like in my head, I'm like, well, you know, he should be with the Mandalorian. Like they have such a strong attachment and everything. What Luke says, and it's very clear a short moment for you is a lifetime for others because Grogu ages very, very slowly. Like we got a brief flashback to some Order 66 stuff, which takes place, what, 30, 40 years um, in the past. That's that's Luke's entire lifetime. But for Grogu, he's still an infant child. So the the choice, I think, is pretty clear that he should continue to train. But if he does continue to train, 
it does kind of come with a death sentence, doesn't it? Because we know that Kylo Ren eventually ransacks the entire Jedi temple and kind of kills everyone. And not that I would ever want, you know, Grogu to die on screen, but from a narrative standpoint, be pretty sick. And is that pretty cool? That's a pretty cool full circle moment. Anyways, though, it, it's it's such a tough choice. And I love the idea of this being the episode cliffhanger because I don't think we get it answered in the context of the book of Boba Fett. I'm willing to bet, and I don't even know if I, if I want to be right here because I'm just loving where they're at right now. But next week is probably going to be a Boba Fett episode. <laughs> You'd like to think Maybe in, in his own show. Let's not go too far. Let's not go too far. Yeah, that'd be crazy. You're right. Um, but I, I do think we get this answer either in The Mandalorian season three or in another show that gets announced on Disney Plus because after this episode specifically, I want Jedi Academy. I want Jedi Academy on Disney Plus in live action of Luke just training kids. And there doesn't have to be crazy action or crazy villains being worked in or the, the planet getting attacked. You can literally just have it be him training kids with the force and having their their very minor conflicts come up and show how difficult the process of becoming a jedi is and i think that'd be dope but i think it's a tough choice but i think he's got to take the saber if there's a jedi academy show the planet is going to get attacked i just want to let you, i just want to mentally prepare you for that because right. like what I'm learning about Star Wars is planets just get attacked all the time. <laughs> like, like all the time without question. Um, uh, Jack, you know, I looking forward, you know, this is kind of diving into lines that matter a little bit, but Liam, you just said it, you know, a, a short time for you is a lifetime for others. Uh, we got a quick question the other day. I don't know if it was in the mailbag or what, but we got a question the other day. Do you think we'll ever get a story after the sequel trilogy? Grogu seems to be in line to be a established Jedi if he survives the Kylo Ren attack after the sequel trilogy. You know what I mean? Like, do you think that we get Grogu's story post sequel trilogy with his Jedi setup and his Mandalorian background? I think it's possible. I I think what's going to happen here. I think Grogu is going to take. Uh, or I think he's going to go with Din. I think that's where the story is leading. Um, I think he's just too attached right now, and that's where his mind's at. But it's an interesting point. If we go after the sequel trilogy, maybe after all of that, I mean, look, Grogu's got he's got 900 years to work with here <laughs> if we're working off Yoda's timeline. So, you know, time can pass, and then he can be like, you know what, maybe I'm ready for that Jedi training now. Maybe he goes and hooks up with Rey and whoever other children that she may have of the Force, and hopefully Finn would be there too, training uh, alongside her because that's something I want. Um, yeah, I, I think the potential is there. Um, I agree with Liam. I would love a Luke show with a Jedi Academy, especially if Grogu isn't the first student. Where does he go now? Like, what is he? Does he just go try to find off find another kid? Um, does he go with Ahsoka and maybe help her out with what she's got going on with Thrawn and Ezra and a bunch of other stuff? I don't know, um, but. Yeah, I think, and there's a rumor going around, came out last year, and now there's definitely a lot of um, credibility to it, potentially, is that there is a Luke show in the works, uh, his own series. So Liam might not be far off there. I do want to hint or, or talk about one thing, though. Um, in the comics, Yoda's lightsaber was destroyed after his fight with Palpatine. Um, one, Palpatine's, like, blue guard who had, like, the horns, I think, I forget his name, it's like, 
moss something. Uh, but he threw, because after their fight, I guess it was in the room and he threw it in a fire. And this is now the second time that these Disney Plus shows have retconned something that happened in the comics. It also happened in the Bad Batch. So it's an interesting precedent they're putting forth. Um, not sure if that's going to keep happening or if they're just going to kind of pick and choose what they want to consider canon and whatnot, because those comics and books are supposed to be canon, according to Lucasfilm. Um, so just pointing that out. Um, there was also one more thing I wanted to say. And it was, oh, it was about the Clone Wars flashbacks. Uh, what a great scene. Um, I think I think Grogu's still haunted by that, and I think that's also going to affect his decision of which one to choose. I think that's why he's going with Din. And it's interesting that Luke said that um, it's not so much I'm teaching him, it's like he's remembering things. You know what I mean? Like, is there an yeah. unlock moment here for Grogu that might, I don't know. Liam, you mentioned it. <laughs> like, what if Luke's in next week's episode? <laughs> like, we don't know. We don't know what's happening. But um, it really seems like the Boba Fett storyline has finally come back to a head. Um, and I mentioned this earlier, but like if this was a Marvel show and halfway through they totally shift the focus on someone else, I'd be really upset because that's not what I signed up for. I think we need to understand that Book of Boba Fett may have always been intended to be a world building show. And I think we just need to approach the back half of the season like that. And Liam, I'm with you in the idea that Having the first half of the season be so much an anthology of Boba Fett explaining his story, why he is what he is, where he came from, what he does, all that stuff. Having that be the first half and then completely change it in the second half. The transition, I don't think, was quite there. But now that we're here, we know the Pikes are coming. We know I, – I do think they have set up Boba Fett in a good spot to – here's why I want to defend this place. Here's why I want to run – the crime aspect of this town because I want to do it right. I've been to, I've been a subject of it being done wrong my whole life. I want to do it right now. So I think that they've set up Boba Fett and Fennec Shan's motivations really well. We have a team, Liam, the team, Boba, Fennec, Black Cassantin. Yeah. Yeah, my friend is just spam texting me because he's just watching right now and the notification. You know the best. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the best? Um, so Boba has his team. Mando is on that team. Before we get into the the cowboy stuff, what do we what are we thinking about Boba's quote unquote army? I guess Boba's squad taking on this invasion of um, the syndicate that's coming. The now syndicate. that we're finally here, how do we feel? Now that we're finally here, and can, can I can I jump forward a little bit? Sure. The syndicate led by none other than oh my god it's cad bane what the hell what the hell this this is so cool and i'm gushing over this idea real quick i will i will address uh boba's team i like that there's a roster now i like that it's classic star wars they're looking at a holographic map and planning out their attack that is so original trilogy and i absolutely love it but man when that gunslinger started walking through the desert and I saw the hat, I was like, I think that's Cad Bane, but there's no way, right? And then he gets closer and closer and you see the blue and you see the like little tentacles like attached to his cheeks and whatnot. And my little side note about Cad Bane, because I'm, I'm not going to lie to you all. I don't know shit about this character. I like I, I don't really know much about him, but I do have some Grogu-like memories that are just like, 
deep in my mind that need to be unlocked because way back when I was in elementary school and we would go to the local library to rent books because yeah but before before phones got introduced and video games I used to read like all the time and so we would go and rent books from the local library and I would always rent uh sports illustrated for kids because we just oh. were too, too lazy to get a subscription but I'd rent the the yeah. uh, magazines and if i was lucky and it was a new edition i would get the nine free cards in it and i would just take them and keep them which was probably illegal but whatever anyways on one edition of sports illustrated for kids on the back of it was an advertisement for the clone wars and it was cad bane and it said uh the hunters have now become the hunted and advertising him as this this jedi hunter type character right i hope i hope i'm not spoiling anything it, that, that's the tagline for a season that's dope right and for that I reason think. as soon as i saw that i go back into whatever aisle are the novelization of star wars books and i read a novelized version of whatever season of clone wars cad bane is in and i don't remember what happens because that was what 15 years ago now however the idea that like I have this fond memory of this character all in my head too. I've never seen this character in live action or animated episodes before, specifically just in a novelized version of the Clone Wars. But he's so cool. Like there's someone about just a character that just like, he's a gunslinger. He's got the cowboy hat. He looks like the freaking undertaker of Star Wars. And I love that. And Jack, can you please <laughs> educate me on why I should be excited that Cad Bane is here? But first I'll go to Matt. Real quick, Jack, I got to interrupt. This is the most Liam Crowley story I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> finally, I finally get up the courage and the commitment to watch Clone Wars. And I'm two seasons in and I'm invested and excited and I've met Cad Bane and I know like kind of what he is and what he's about. And I can't wait to learn more. But here's Liam who's never seen the show and he has this awesome memory from when he was a kid that makes Cad Bane one of his favorite characters. The most Liam Crowley story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Like, how do you always do that? Like, how do you always have some deep emotional connection to the most obscure things? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's wild. Jack, Cad Bane, who is he? Well, Cad Bane is one of the most infamous, if not the most infamous bounty hunter in Star Wars, in the Star Wars universe. Like, literally, like, even more so, uh, that might be a stretch. Boba Fett was probably number one, but Cad Bane from the jump, I believe his first episode was in season one of Clone Wars, um, but Matt has seen this. Yeah, so Matt has uh, seen this arc and it's not a, the biggest spoiler. I'm just going to briefly touch on it. He He's hired uh, by a certain someone um, and that certain someone ends up being a little emperor with some dinosaur hands. Um, well, at the time, Chancellor. And, you know, he's hired to steal a holocron from the Jedi temple. And that, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's a really tough yeah, thing to is. do, but, but my man does it <laughs> at least for a little bit. Um, he is, what's the best? I mean, he's like the, I've said quintessential a lot in this review, but he is like the most quintessential bounty hunter you'll see even more so than Boba Fett. I think personally, um, especially from the Boba Fett we've seen in Canon. Um, like he is the top dog. He is the man you want to hire if you need a job done. And by the way, guys, do we think now that it wasn't some uh, uh, spy? I don't know why I'm thinking of spider speed bike speed biker gang. Do we think they're the ones who killed the Tuscans, or was it Cad Bane all along? Because Fennec Shan said really some 
some biker gang killed all those Tuscans? Yeah, I highly doubt it. And we never dealt with that again because <laughs> the show has kind of become something else. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, has he been around this whole time? Because the tagline for, for this episode is mysteries are explored and Boba Fett learns new information. Boba Fett didn't learn any new information. Uh, <laughs> we did. <laughs> we certainly did. But um, I don't know about Boba Fett, but maybe what they're leaning into is that he does learn that this was Cad Bane all along. Uh, kind of working for the pikes behind the scenes while they kind of do whatever they want to do and run spice. But the biggest thing I'll say, and this is this is one of the like the most important parts about Cad Bane. So you guys know that little dent in Boba Fett's helmet, like that big dent that's in there. So there was going to be a Clone Wars storyline before it got canceled and it got picked up again, and they did one more season. They never told the story, but they had like a they had very early animation and early graphics for it. And they showed it at a star Wars celebration or D 23 or something. And we see how Boba Fett got that dent in the helmet. And it's because it was Cad Bane and Boba Fett in a standoff. And this was an early Boba Fett. This is in clone wars. So he's still very young, but he has the armor and it's them in a standoff one-on-one. And obviously they both shoot Boba Fett gets him. Cad Bane gets Boba Fett, but it's in the helmet and creates that dent, that iconic dent that we all know and love in, in that armor. Um, and Boba Fett survives. And that was supposed to be the end of Cad Bane. That's how he was supposed to go out. He was supposed to go out in Clone Wars. Obviously, that's not the case. He's even shown up in Bad Batch, which takes place after Clone Wars. Um, so I don't know if there's still going to be history between the two. I think there will be. I think this is going to be a big deal. I think once Boba Fett learns that Cad Bane is here. Also, shout out Cobb Banth. My guy with brilliant hair, great hair that just even great on Tatooine, it looks good. Fantastic. And screw that deputy that tried to do whatever the hell he was trying to do. I'm James Marsden, right? I, it wasn't <laughs> yeah, him, but it looked exactly like James Marsden. I never thought anybody could have a more punchable face than James Marsden. This guy took the cake. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm very glad Cad Bane took him out. I was actually kind of cheering for him there. Um, I don't think Cobb is dead. That's weird saying Cobb. Um, I don't think he's dead. Um, I think he got him in the shoulder. It's a warning. It's like, stay out of this. The Pikes are here. They're here to stay. Um, but I think Boba Fett's going to be like, oh, shit. Cad Bang, that little fucker. I hate him. Screw him. Maybe he did put that dent in the armor, but they both survived. I don't know. Um, but there's so much history and so much love. So much love from the fans for this character. We freaked out when he showed up in Bad Batch. Completely caught us off guard. And he's been rumored for this forever. I know Nathan Johnson, freelance writer for the direct.com wanted this so bad. And he reached, I reached out to him. He reached out to me. This is just a great, great cameo and moment. And I can't wait to see what he does in the next episode. Shout out big Nate friend of the show. Um, I think that the thing about Cad Bane and Boba Fett, <clears throat> they, they kind of teased it a little bit. Boba Fett knows the bounty hunters. Like him and Black or Santa earlier this season, they had kind of a moment. Like, hey, I get it, man. Like, I understand this life. The bounty hunter gang that they've collected between Boba Finnick, Cassantin, and now Cad Bane, and obviously Mando. Um, I think it's a really cool kind of unique bond they all have. Something we really haven't seen since Mando 1. You know, the whole bounty hunter community in Mandalorian 1 was really a lot of the story there. Um, is Carl Weathers going to show back up? But... um. It's a, it's a really interesting thing that they've done here is just, man, how many shows are we going to get off this, right? Like, like we could get a bounty hunter show starring Cat Bay. We could get a, you know, a, another book of Boba Fett type show, but maybe Phoenix running the show 
instead of Boba Fett. All these different things. I don't know how it's going to come to a head. I don't know where we're going to go from here. But what's what's really awesome is that the way they've done the Star Wars universe, yes, we are not getting the focus Boba Fett story maybe we wanted or what we got in the first four episodes. But they've committed to the world-building aspect in a way that has kind of evolved this show mid-season into, you know, just a kind of a promo reel for the rest of the Star Wars universe in a really great way. And I think next week, at the very minimum, is Robert Rodriguez doing next week? Mm-hmm. So no, I, I think next week we get a huge action set piece where we get to see all these toys in action a little bit, right? I think that's going to be kind of the focus. And, and then the last 15, 20 minutes of the episode is going to be sending us off in all these different avenues with Ahsoka and Grogu and Luke and Mando and Finnick and Cad Bane and all the different things, right? Hell, Pikes are showing up. Kira could still show up in this show, guys. Like, like that's still very much a possibility that Amelia Clark makes an appearance. But the, just the the openness of the Star Wars universe is really exciting. Liam, moving forward, what do you expect next week? Obviously, the battle, but like, you know, what do we? Where do we expect to end next week? Like, is it too early? No, it's not. Post credit predictions. What do we got? Oh, oh. Um, Who's the last time we did that? Yeah, right. Damn, it's been a minute. Hawkeye. Yeah. And Hawkeye like barely even counted because yeah, just yeah. didn't get anything. Um, I do think that this um show goes back to its roots next week in that Boba Fett is a prime focus, but his supporting cast also gets a lot of shine. Pretty wild that we're gonna end this show with Mando being in three of the seven episodes. Like he is Dang. the biggest supporting character, and he didn't show up till the second half of the season absolutely wild um i do expect a big action set piece i do expect uh this tension that's been building and building and building to really culminate and for us to get some some punches with meaning behind it you know you know we love that here on the direct podcast we love the we love the the fights that actually have you know emotion behind every blast every punch every kick every what have you as for post credits it's hard not to say something involving luke because I feel like the post credit scene will almost be something that has nothing to do with what the finale is in the sense that like Luke's not going to be in the finale. I'd be shocked if he is. And I would welcome it if he is, because I'd love to see some lightsaber action. Don't get me wrong. But I think we kind of go back to the Jedi. Oh my God. Here it is. My prediction is that a young Kylo Ren gets dropped off at the Jedi temple. That's my prediction. Pretty good one. Holy shit. That's a pretty good one. Um, you know, that could be like a Shang-Chi. Go ahead. And specifically, because we've heard the rumors, we got to see Ahsoka and Luke interact. We never thought we'd see that. A de-aged Harrison Ford interacting with Luke Skywalker. Because they never did in the sequel trilogy. Oh, never once. Yeah. They never crossed paths. Han died before it could happen. Oh my wow. god. Um you see, this is Dr. Strange all over again, right? Like Mephisto. <laughs> like who who's the Mephisto of this show? Guess what? It was Luke and we got him. Like exactly. Um uh I don't even know how to wrap my brain around that. It's it's so interesting the idea of uh like in Mando 2 or in Shang-Chi, something gets announced, like a show gets announced in the post-credit scene. It could be that. It could be the Jedi Academy. Uh, Jack, as far as next week, 
Uh, what do we think the finale holds for us? And do you have any post-credit uh, predictions? Uh, I kind of agree with Liam uh, in terms of the fight. I want to fight with meaning. I really want to go back to the Boba story because they, they were, I don't think it was executed all the way, like fully to what I wanted, to the extent of what I wanted, but they're re- they were really like, showing those like clone wars flashbacks of Bo- a young boba and seeing Django and this idea of water and what does water symbolize for him um yeah i hope they bring that back um and yeah liam when you when you said uh punches with meaning and that carry weight i just i think of time to go to work like one of the mm-hmm. best fight scenes in the mcu like i i just i love that scene so much and i want that kind of level fight i don't think it's going to be as good as that because like the villains that they've set up not not including Cad Bane, like the Pikes, like we don't have like emotional attachment to him. Like we had emotional attachment to John Walker, exactly. whether we liked it or not. Um, but you know, Cad Bane with the history that he has, I could certainly see that um, coming to fruition. Um, but you know, Savannah Sanders, also writer for the direct.com came on Reckless friend Rebellion. Of the show. Yes, friend of the show. She came on Reckless Rebellion and she brought up a good point. It's like, what if this ends on like a cliffhanger? Because you know, there were rumors that this was going to be Mandalorian season 2.5, which <laughs> it is. It is. Um, <laughs> if, if it ends on some kind of cliffhanger to lead in, so maybe like this war isn't done going into Mando season three and we kind of pick up, um, not right where we left off, but somewhat, and maybe like the first episode or two of that is us finishing with or dealing with the aftermath of this war. I don't know, could, could happen. I thought it was a good point that I hadn't considered. Um, in terms of post-credits, Oh, Liam, you had such a good one. That was a really good one. And there again, rumors of Han showing up in this show, it could work, especially with the history with Boba Fett. And he, he doesn't even have to interact with Boba Fett, but just the idea that he shows up in a Boba Fett show would be incredible. And obviously, the talk with Luke. Um, gosh, I think I think they're gonna focus on setting up Mando season three. And look, at this point, that could mean showing a scene with Luke Skywalker, and that could mean showing a scene with Ahsoka, because God only knows what these shows are going to do from here on out. Um, but I think that's going to be their focus, and it could be a man. I'll go a little bit dif- different from Liam. I'll go with a um, Mandalore setup, something with Bo-Katan, something with that aspect of the story, something with the Darksaber, because it's there. They planted it, so I want to see something with that. I think you laid it out right there. The three major storylines in this iteration of the Star Wars universe is the Jedi stuff with Luke, Grogu, Ahsoka. There's the Mandalore stuff with Mando and Bo-Katan and the Darksaber and all those things. And then there's the underworld crime syndicate stuff with all the bounty hunters with Cat Bane and Boba Fett and Finnick. Like those are the three branches of the Star Wars universe being focused on right now. I love that Mandalorian, the, the Mandalorian, Din Djarin is the connective thread between all three. He's involved with the Jedi stuff because of Grogu. He's involved with the Mandalore stuff because he has the Darksaber. Oh, my God. Like, what if the Darksaber ends up, like, deflecting some Gad Bane shots? Um, there's, so he's, he's hyper-involved in that storyline. And then the Bounty Hunter stuff, obviously, you know, he's, he's a bro of bros in that situation. So um, I'm going to predict, you know, Liam, I think all of our predictions are highly possible. Something with Jedi's from liam something with mandalore from jack i'm gonna say something with uh, the bounty hunters i think a cad bane post-credit scene setting up some sort of bounty hunter cad bane show i think would be really cool it's so it's so crazy it's like yeah maybe a bounty hunter show would be cool we've gotten three of them <laughs> we've gotten three seasons of it but um you know they're all very different 
as far as like predictions for the next episode, I think, I think opening scene, we get a Cad Bane scene, you know, a Cad Bane cold scene just to get people familiar with who like Disney plus does that a lot, right? Introduce a character in the final shot of one episode, tell a little bit of the backstory at the beginning of the next episode. So I think that time to go to work is such a great fight scene with so much emotional weight. I'll raise you one. What if instead of time to go to work, we get, I request elaboration between Boba and Cad Bane. Oh, wow. Just, you know, we, we expect this big fight and then we get a speech from Boba Fett as mm. to why he's doing this and all these different things. And maybe like him and Cad go back and forth on what the morals of being a bounty hunter are and all those different things. Maybe it just ends with a kill shot in some way, you know, like I think there's so many ways they can handle it with the pieces they have on board that it's almost hard to predict, but I, I do know we're going to get a huge action set piece. I don't think Robert Rodriguez is cut for Star Wars stuff in the long term. I know he can put together a good fight scene between a bunch of pieces, though. You know, he's got that move in spades. So, yeah, there it was. Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 6. I mean, whoa. Absolutely whoa. And um, I can't wait for next week. Uh, Jack, where can we find you on the internet and on the podcast? This is this is. You can find me on Twitter at Jack Pews, P-U-E-S, all one word. And you can find Reckless Rebellion. I'm going to try to get this right. I always screw it up. At Reckless Rebels, all one word, capital R, capital R. I think that's it. I don't know why I think there's always something in there. Um, and yeah, check us out. We're recording tonight with the one and only Matt Remke. Um, going to be a time. Going to have a few cocktails in there, maybe. Um, sure. Going to be appropriate. <laughs> it's going to be like a four-hour show, but who cares? Whatever. It's Star Wars. <laughs> um, Liam, I can't wait to have you on. Oh, guys, I guess the next time, I mean, we have next week's, but then after Book of Boba Fett, we're hoping it's going to be Obi-Wan. So hope to be back soon. Oh, my God. Guys, guys, Book of Boba Fett Chapter 7 comes out five days before the Super Bowl. (laughs) Obi-Wan trailer at the Super Bowl, Book of Boba Fett finale five days before. Come on, book come it. on, please book it, Disney. Get it together. Let's go. Like if, if this thing is coming out in May, like we all want it, it's it's got to come with the Super Bowl here. I'm, I I need it. Absolutely, uh, Liam. Who was your favorite character this episode? Before we go, Cad Bane. Cad Bane. There it is. Mine's Ahsoka. Um. All right. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> that was a couple quick questions. That was a sizzle reel. That was a Boba Fett review with Jack Pews. And that's an episode. Episode 72 of the Direct Podcast on a Wednesday. How great is it that we get to talk about one of the best episodes of Disney Plus television and immediately release it to you, the listeners, day of. It's fantastic. I love that we're able to do this. Two episodes a week. We'll be right back on these microphones this upcoming Friday, talking Peacemaker, having a fun feature segment, getting some Marvel chatter in there. But for now, before we close this one out, just like we did last week, going outside the universes we love, talking a little Percy Jackson, Matt, a pretty big uh, Submariner, is making his way over to the Fast and Furious franchise. Ain't that right? It's absolutely right. I love loving the things that I love. It's one of my favorite things. And Fast and Furious is one of those things. Um, it's stupid popcorn movie. It's, it's action for action's sake. I understand what Fast and Furious is. But for what it is, I think it absolutely crushes. Adding a charisma like Jason Momoa to fill in that rotating door of big celebrity villain in the Fast and Furious franchise I think it's just such a great thing. Um, I, it, it, whatever character 
character Vin Diesel writes for this guy is going to be just so over the top Bond villain, but with fast cars and you know dope outfits and hot girls and hip hop music, like it's going to be it's awesome. And I just I can't wait to see. Honestly, I can't wait to see how he looks in the Fast and Furious franchise. You know what I mean? Like Cena got his hair, uh, The Rock got his overblown goatee, his Goldberg goatee, mm-hmm. um, and nice. you know. So I I think how they present Jason Momoa is going to be a really awesome thing. I know you love Jason Momoa, one of your favorite actors. Getting him in this popcorn franchise to just have some fun and do the my man for two and a half hours, like. You got to be pretty excited too, right? Yeah, he's got charisma out the gills, pun intended. Um, I Nailed also it. don't even know if he's gonna be the villain though, because all the all the rumors of The Rock being like Vin Diesel campaigning to get him back in the franchise, The Rock turning it down. The timing of this announcement makes me think maybe Momo is just filling whatever role The Rock was gonna have, similar to the Will Smith Deadshot Idris Elba Bloodsport situation, where it's a different character but he's kind of just filling all those scenes and whatnot. So who knows? I, I think Momoa could go either way, uh, good or bad. The thing is about the Fast and Furious franchise, like they're all just superheroes. <laughs> like like yeah. they all fill the <laughs> same role. Like it's just insane. But um, real quick before we get out of here, Liam, Tom Brady hmm. um, uh, officially announced his retirement. Uh, you know, for those who don't know, pay, uh, Liam, a uh, lifelong Patriots fan, has never experienced a losing stretch in his entire life because Tom Brady. Um, uh, obviously, he's been on the Bucks for the last two years. So, Liam, he hasn't been on your team for a while, but he's still your guy. Real quick, uh, you know, the greatest football player of all time, you know, hangs it up. What does this mean for you to see Tom Brady, you know, get his flowers and, you know, just step away from the game? It's kind of like, the end of my childhood a little bit, which is weird to say because, you know, I'm, I'm in college, I'm a senior, but Tom Brady was such an essential part of my life. Like every single Sunday, one o'clock Tom Brady suiting up, running down the sidelines, throwing the fist, and then just putting in an unbelievable performance. And two, even though he's one of the most dominant quarterbacks of all time, he always somehow felt like the underdog in certain moments, which I think is what was so special about him and why I felt so privileged to root for him because I do acknowledge I see everyone on Twitter celebrating the fact that he's done because he wins so much and I also have plenty of athletes that you know LeBron James and and whatnot and uh even Patrick Mahomes recently who's only won one Super Bowl it's so hard to root for them because they win so much and it's hard to root for them because they win so much and they're not your guy to have someone who wins so much somehow some way becomes the underdog in just about every Super Bowl I remember watching, except for the Rams one, the last Rams one, different story. But both the Seahawks and Falcons, he was the underdog in that game somehow, just the way entering the fourth quarter, down by 10 against the Seahawks, entering two minutes left in the third quarter, down by 25 to the Falcons. Like, it's incredible to have had an athlete um, play for one of my home teams for 20 years and uh, to be a part of just incredible success, uh, something I'll never take for granted. Uh, it does hurt a lot to know that there's going to be an NFL Sunday next year and Tom Brady's not going to be behind center and it's going to be weird. And he's easily uh, the most impactful athlete of my lifetime. I don't know if 
that will ever be replicated or duplicated. But yeah, I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to whatever's next for him because he's got a lot of brands. He's got a lot of stuff he can do in the public eye, but I'd love to see him eventually come back to New England as like a quarterback's coach. I know a lot of people too were saying like, oh, that's too small of a role for him. He should be an offensive coordinator. He should be a coach. I don't think he wants that. I think he would love to pass on his knowledge to young guys in a small capacity, like a quarterback's coach for a couple of years, or even work in the front office, work alongside Robert Kraft. These guys have the bug. And even though he wants to be a father first, I think he'll be very similar to any pro wrestler who retires for a couple of years, but then becomes a trainer at the performance center and teaches guys, you know, how to lock up. I think Brady will be the same way. And I, I just, I, I, I wait with a uh, bated breath for whatever happens next week. Cause there's rumors of him signing a one day contract and giving a speech at Gillette and having this big press conference. And uh, it'll be, it'll be fighting back tears for sure. Because uh, just like I love Marvel, Star Wars, DC, pro wrestling, comics in general. Uh, I love the New England Patriots and I love Tom Brady. And to have uh, a guy like this officially done in the NFL, it's weird because we don't know when we'll get it again. The time difference between Jordan and LeBron, like it was a couple of years. Like we don't know who's going who's gonna to take it from, from Brady and go from here and I'll likely not be on my team. It's a once in a lifetime thing to get an athlete like that on your hometown team. So uh, I've talked enough. That's my Tom Brady uh, love and admiration. And uh, yeah, I, I, I only hope that I can thank him in person one day for being such an integral part to my childhood, despite him not intentionally doing so. I just want to answer your question real quick. We're not going to see it again. Like, like when you talk about dominance, like Tom Brady is dominance. The two stats that I absolutely love about Tom Brady over these past few days uh, we talk about how dominant the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, right? Mm-hmm. Of the top 55 highest grossing movies of all time, 10 of them belong to Marvel Studios. That's dominance. Of every single Super Bowl, 55 of them, 10 of them have been started by Tom Brady. That's dominance. Like, like he is the MCU of sports, which is a crazy thing to say. And another stat that really just dwarfs any potential that anybody's ever going to do what he did again uh as far as all-time wins as a quarterback numbers two through three are drew Brees, um ben roethlisberger and john elway the uh, second most third most fourth most wins drew Brees has 181 wins that's second all time tom brady has 193 more wins than he does losses <sighs> He has more wins than losses to the point where Drew Brees' all-time win record can't even reach how many wins he has. It's unbelievable how dominant he's been. And when you talk about getting another athlete like this, Tom Brady's not the strongest arm. Tom Brady's not the fastest on his feet. Tom Brady doesn't throw the ball harder than anybody. It's the culture he brings to football. And football is such a culture sport where – if all 22 guys on offensive defense plus special teams plus backups plus coaches plus trainers if they're not all on the same page same mind same goal clear eyes full heart can't lose then you're not going to be a successful team tom brady showed in 20 years in new england that he is the culture of the patriots way him and bill belichick built the ideal football culture to win more than any other sports franchise ever and he proves going down to tampa bay 
first season winning a Super Bowl, second season leading the league in passing in every single statistic you can imagine. He brought the culture with him. No one can do that like Tom Brady. So I I cannot imagine he retired from football to go be an offensive coordinator, stay in the office for 35 hours a day, and you know just have the worst schedule of all time, right? I think he's going to be the president of football in New England. I think that he's going to have a TV show like the Manning cast. And if New England, you know, did anything right in their lives, they should name Gillette Stadium Tom Brady Stadium. Like, it's 100% what they should do. I see no reason why you shouldn't. There's no, there is no Gillette Stadium without Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Gillette Stadium is renamed at least twice in this last 25 years. Tom Brady's not there. I, I, I really believe that because the, he is the Patriots franchise. He's why they're one of the most, you know, profitable. What is yeah. that? Lucrative. Valuable. Lucrative, I'd say. Lucrative. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he is the reason the Patriots are the Patriots, and I think that they should rename Gillette after him. Three jumping off points uh, for everything you said. My stat that blows my mind that I had to verify, too, because it just it made no sense to me. Um, he threw more touchdowns in his 40s than in his 20s like 20 more as well. That makes no sense. 168 touchdowns in his 40s. Most guys don't make it to their 40s. That's insane. Um, You talk about renaming Gillette. Uh, You you say that it might have been renamed twice if he wasn't there. The Patriots don't stay in New England if he's not there. Because uh, Robert Kraft, when he bought the Pats, I believe in uh, in the 90s, he wanted to keep them in New England because he knew how uh, important a football team was to Foxborough, to Boston in general, to just the greater New England states. And advertisers were like, it's not, we're not selling out tickets. We're not uh, profitable here. Like you got to (laughs) win. You got to win and you got to make people want to come here. And he assembled just, you know, the greatest coaching um, quarterback duo of all time and not even intentionally picked number 199. Like Tom Brady was not on the Pats radar until very late rounds. And yeah, you mentioned too, the, the winning culture, like not even trying to sound sappy here, but like Tom Brady beyond how he carries himself on the field. Like he makes me want to be a better person. And it's incredible for an athlete that gets so much ridiculous hate just because he wins so much. And at the same time, I get it. I get it because (laughs) he wins. Like I hate LeBron James because he wins so much. And I recognize he is like the golden child of athletes. No history of DUIs, no faulty marriages, he built he a school in Akron. He just wins. He goes back to Cleveland, brings them a championship, and then moves on with his career. He is the quintessential uh, athlete and role model for children. And I I can't stand him because he wins so much. And I recognize that that's exactly who Tom Brady is, and I just love him because he's my guy. Tom Brady, like you said, the way he carries himself, the way on on after a big win on, on his Instagram story, he thanks every single player. Like, okay, I, I know the whole the whole controversy about him not uh naming New England in the goodbye post. I didn't uh, I, I I didn't shed a tear over that because I expect there to be yeah. a press conference. I yeah. expect there to be a, a longer thing. Like I I don't think that, that was like him being no, yeah. like shady or whatever. But the fact that he, like like I said, he opts on Instagram stories, he'll he'll take a screenshot from every every uh frame where there's a player. And it'll be like, you know, shout out my guy, Kyle Van Noy, big tackles today. Uh, shout out my guy. Like, just like, I, I love that. And like the embodiment of a team player, so super selfless and just like 
the gold standard, like the gold standard. Like this is who athletes should strive to be because you get in the spotlight, you get a lot of money, you get a lot of fame. And it's very easy to veer off uh, sideways. Like, and Tom Brady always just head down, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. And uh, it's unbelievably admirable. And yeah, <laughs> it makes me want to just go uh, watch Man in Arena uh, right now. Uh, makes me want to rewatch Super Bowl uh, 51, one of my favorite movies of all time. That's not even a movie. Um, yeah, Tom Brady, man. TV 12. It's crazy. Um, I heard that the the quality of life in New England 20 years before Brady got there and 20 years after Brady got there is substantially different because yeah. you guys went so damn much. You know what I mean? It's just crazy. Um, so shout out Tom Brady. What a career. What a legend. Greatest football player of all time. Second best quarterback of all time. It's just really exciting to uh, see see him get his due. And I had to throw that in there. Come on. Um, but uh, no, and this isn't the last we'll hear of him. And, you know, congrats to you, Liam, for, you know, being able to be a fan of the greatest football player to ever play the game. So for that, this has been the Direct Podcast. We'll see you. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now. Because it's bad boy for life. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't. Three episodes of this show, and I'm Let's so fuck. fucking hype on it. Like, <laughs> well, because I was like, if we we want to turn this around in like a couple hours, and neither of us are going to become Cad Bane experts before then, so why don't we just bring on the Cad Bane expert? Yeah, my man, Jack. I, I want to say, you know, hey, how are you? But I've been talking to you more than anybody else in my life over this past week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I'm even the Cad Bane expert because Matt, you might, I don't know how many episodes you've seen of him. Was it just that one arc of him no, seen... with, I forget, I even forget what it was. Oh, the children of the force stuff. Yeah. So I've seen him in like three episodes. He's a badass. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Children of the forest. Was that a game of Thrones? Gross, did you just say game of Thrones children of the forest? No children of the force. Oh, Star Wars. Oh, cho- that's right. Children of the Force. I completely just forgot about them until just now. Yeah, they created yeah. White Walkers. That's right. That was a great detail. On talk about not doing anything. <laughs> I don't remember what Children of the Forest were. We're like the bird-looking creatures that were there since like man first arrived, like the first men. They were connected and they to like um, stabbed the White Walker, created the guy. Night King. Friend. Essentially, Amphis Nest. <laughs> And they were connected to uh, um, the boy from Force Awakens. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, Max von Sydow. Yep, the guy in the tree. Yeah, that's um, right. Basically, to me, the same to me she's royalty. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you guys talking about the old guy Come in on. the hut that talks to that gives Poe Dameron the map. Remember, he's oh, with Bran yes. in Game of Thrones, and yes. then yeah, 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 at the beginning of the movie. I will teach you to fly is what he says to Bran in Game of Thrones.